Hello there, welcome to episode number 38 of True Cult Pop. It is a podcast. It is about music. It is me, Stephen Hill. Again, here I am chatting to you. And it is my bloody pleasure to welcome my co-host for this week. Doing something pretty different this week. Doing something a little bit different. Going off-piste a little bit. And I'm joined by former editor of Terrorizer magazine. Former contributor to Metal. In fact, actually current contributor to Metal Hammer, I believe, Tom. Infrequent, but current, yes. Infrequent, but current contributor to Metal Hammer magazine. And most importantly, actually, no, no. There is something more important. Very importantly, the host of the excellent Hellbent for Metal podcast, but most importantly, supporter of European Kings, West Ham United. It is, of course, Mr. Tom Dare. How you doing, Tom? Champions of Europe, we know who we are. We know who... How was that, mate? That's surreal. Cause, like, Unbelievable. I, I've never seen my team win anything, right? I, I just like, mm. what the fuck do we do now? Because I started thinking, well, what about in other sports where your team has won something? And I went, well, okay, that's not happened all that often, but it's happened enough. And I went, well, yeah, but I haven't seen them lose relentlessly forever, right? And it was so, yeah. but it, so it was just like, I mean, this is amazing, this is wonderful, but what the fuck do I do now? How do I go back to like real? How do you know doing? you know the cat's litter tray or or you know taking the dog for a walk or something when i know what that feels like it's just wonderful mate it's so when you're a supporter like that you know i'm very lucky as well that i am someone who supports a similar i mean obviously we're in a bit of a worse position at the moment but who supports a similar sort of club like if you don't support one of those teams that are liverpool man united arsenal you know chelsea I was going to say Man City, but I think Man City fans probably do remember what it was like before yeah. all of this stuff that's happened to them has happened to them. Spurs, if you support one of those... Tr- Spurs fans definitely remember what that's like, but they haven't won anything yet, so... <laughs> yeah, they, they, they remember what it's like to when Juan de Ramos lifted the, the fucking Carling Cup for them back in 2008. But if you're somebody who doesn't support one of those teams, if you support a Pompey or a West Ham or a Palace or a Sunderland or a... Do you know what I mean? Like one of those teams who are still a good side, but and a, and a traditionally like a big side or Wolves or someone. Do you know what I mean? Like it is Borough. fucking mad. My local team, it, Borough. Yeah, yeah, who you know got to a European final after winning a trophy. Massimo Macaroni. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mate. Uh, the, the good thing oh, I can tell you from having gone through this myself when Seoul went up to lift the FA Cup I was there uh, in 2008 um, and y- y- you know that will be with you forever but the but the fall will happen much like Borough and Pompey and Wigan and any of those oh. other teams Birmingham oh I Wig- know you'll you'll your crushing realization will bring you back but, down to earth but I don't, well. don't but worry. I know what the, I, I'm that's fine because like yeah it's fine I remember Glen Roder I was there for that mm-hmm. I went I was God sat almost directly behind Steven Gerrard in 2006 when he hit that shot in oh. the FA Cup final I've had my heart broken enough that I'm like I can deal with that. I can get out the other side, but at least we've at least I've had the high now. At least I can go. Okay, we're in the, the inevitable relegation next season is coming, and you know Declan yeah. Rice is is off to either Arsenal or pa- apparently Manchester United. But who knows? But somewhere, 
and you know we're probably going to release him, replace him with someone who's very disappointing and screw and spurn all the other money that we spend this summer. James Ward Prowse, oh, I've heard. Oh my god, uh, no, no. Tom Cleverley, no. but good at free kicks. That's basically no, all he is in there, no, really. No, no, yeah, no. but mate, it's beautiful. It's yeah, beautiful it to see West Ham win a, t- a, a, a trophy, and it's something that you know there are fans of those other teams, Southampton, who don't know what that feels like, and you never will. So you can stay in the Premier League, or you know, managing to get into the playoffs in the Championship next year whatever uh but you don't know what it feels like to win a trophy it's lovely anyway sorry this is a podcast about music by the way it actually is a podcast about music but as you might have already uh have realized from that um massive fucking football ramble that we did at the start there uh, what we're doing essentially is welcome a bit like, to the football Bad- ramble. <laughs> yeah, do you remember Badil and Skinner unplanned, where they just took uh, subjects from the audience and decided to talk about them? We have no reviews this week. We have no song this week. We have no feature this week. Tom and I are just going to riff off of the singular words that you gave us on Twitter and see where we go and see what happens. But before we do that, the one thing I am going to do is point you in the direction of our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash truecolorpop if you want to sign up for any of our exclusive content. That's where you can do that for any amount of money. You get to suggest an album uh, or a song or a book or a film or whatever. We've still not done anything other than albums, but, you know, we're open to doing those things as well. But anyway, this coming Saturday... Um, I've forgotten who suggested it. Quite a few people suggested it, actually. But I think Tom and I, as soon as this is finished, we're going to sit down and give you a quick little discussion on why the album Axe to Fall by Converge is basically just really, really fucking good. Um, Could pretty much have picked any Converge album. That's just the one that we happened upon. But um, you know I love Converge. And if you don't know that Tom loves Converge... It'll tell you in a second, but I'm just going to tell you before he starts talking. Tom loves Converge, don't you, Tom? Of course I do. I'm not stupid. He's not stupid. He's not an idiot. Why would he not like Converge? Conver- Go on. Converge. Why would he not? Why? Uh, because they they are quite terrifying. Like if you if you've seen them live, yeah. uh, I've never been as afraid for my safety as when I've been watching Converge live. Including the sometimes, most violent gig I've ever been to. Yeah, and in, including mm. sometimes from you know me spraining something when they play something, any any of those songs of any of the songs they have <laughs> ever written, I'm worried I'm going to snap something. Um, do you want to do a yeah. song though? Do you want to pick a song for the week? We can't do it in a minute. Yeah, we can do that. I can do that in a minute. I mean, depending on what I've what I've heard, but like what what we've heard, I and mean, we haven't kind of set this up as I've discussed. But hold on, hold that thought. So, converge, axe the fall, coming on Wednesday. If you sign up for the five pound tier, obviously get a classic album and a beginner's guide to every month. Gave you the classic album a couple of weeks back, so it's a beginner's guide to. I'm not sure how much you're going to like this, to be honest, Tom. But Paul Weller, I like Paul Weller. I like the jam. I love the jam. I really like the style council as well. If you are one of those people who are like, he's that man with that bad haircut who all the fucking like mod dads like he is. And when he's bad, admittedly, Paul Weller can be quite bad. But he's got some fucking outrageously brilliant albums. Some of the most iconic British guitar music ever created. I'm looking forward to diving in and uh, talking about the best bits, the, the best of Paul Weller. I imagine that's not of that much interest to you, Tom. My memory of Paul Weller is being about <laughs> 12, 13, I guess. And like mm-hmm. still, I was still at that point where I was finding my thing. I hadn't found metal yet. Mm. I didn't really know what it was. 
Um, in fairness, metal was kind of dead. It was it was new metal or get the fuck out, and I, was, I didn't even know that yet. Um, and I would be listening to like Capital Radio or something, and they would constantly be adverts for Paul Weller, and there would be a ten second snippet of a song, and I go, well, that's not getting bought. Um, so uh, maybe that's just a bad era. What song it was. I can't remember. Um, well, I mean, if it's it's going to be about nineteen ninety six, seven, sometime around then. Ah, uh, okay. So you're looking at uh, what's it called? Was it Heavy Soul? Uh, no, the the one with Peacock suit on. Yeah, that's kind of where I checked out. I checked out around that time. Okay. I think Stanley Stanley Road. Spoiler: Stanley Road from nineteen ninety five is one of my favourite nineties indie albums. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Really, really brilliant. And I mean, you know. We'll probably do a jam album or or Stanley Road as a classic album at some point. I would have thought, but for me, like growing up listening to the like my dad's favorite band were the two favorite bands were the Jam and the Who, and so I heard kind of all mod all mod cons and stuff like that quite a lot back in the day, sound effects and stuff. And yeah, I got a lot of like a lot, a lot, a lot of love for the Jam. So that's coming. Uh, patreon.com forward slash true cut pop Paul Weller and Converge we're nothing if not eclectic Tom yes and I think that eclecticism may Im- increase as this podcast goes on let's hope so well mate um, yeah let's pick a song then um, do you want to kick do you want to do you want to start do you want to chuck something at me I mean I whether I'll have heard it or not you probably won't have heard what I'm gonna talk about but go on probably not um, well what I, I I did have one because I was thinking oh that's a really good song and I've been listening to that quite a bit um, and then someone mentioned something on Twitter, which sent me down a, a rabbit hole. And I land, I went, no, that's taking over instead. I'm going for uh, The Losing Side by Grace Petrie. Don't know if you know her. I, I know of Grace Petrie, but I'm not sure that I've actually lis- listened to her ever. Um, and I'm not familiar with that song. So she is a um, self-described butch lesbian. So that's why she, I, I'm interested in her, because obviously my... My other podcast is very interested in that side of things. Um, mm-hmm. And she is also a... she said, Well, she did an EP called No Such Thing as a Protest Singer, but she's kind of a protest singer. So very much in that kind of Billy Bragg kind of, you know, where punk cool, spirit yeah. but folk music kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, very yeah. singer-songwriter, usually just her a guitar and sometimes a violin. Um, and The Losing Side was the last song on her last album, I believe. I think I don't think she's done one since. If she has, sorry. If you have, Grace, sorry. I will check that out as soon as I find it. But I haven't seen it. If seen it yet, I um, can. I can tell you right now. She's oh, she's so. Uh, her last album was called Connectivity, I believe. That's the one. Um, and this is wow. Is it even on there? Yes, it's the uh, last one. Oh yeah, it's the final. It's the final track. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, and it's very much. A, I mean, it is the first part of the song is about protest, and it is very much about um, being very uh, suspicious of any government that wants to stop you having your say and that wants to quash protest because they never have good motivations and they might be coming for you next. Um, and it's a song about, um, the the chorus is, is uh, if I spend my life on the losing side, uh, you can lay me no- down knowing that I tried. And it's all about kind of showing resilience and standing up and trying, uh, which I think at the moment, giving some of the shit that's going on, feels very... Feels quite apt. Yes. And I kind of heard... Uh, uh, 
that stumbled across my musical ramblings just before we recorded. And I went, no, that's fucking perfect. So, uh, yeah, mm. brilliant song as well. Absolute kind of earworm, fantastic. Wants to wants to make you sing along and stand up and tap your foot and all those kind of things that you know. Um, cool man. That kind of thing should. That do. sounds. That sounds like a bit of me. I might check her out after this. Yeah, really. Um, and she's done loads right. as well. She's really prolific. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Grace Petrie and the song is called "The Losing Side." The losing side. All right, sweet. Well, mate, on a completely different tip, there is one song that I have been absolutely fucking hammering this week. So um, if you go over to loudersound.com where I write some stuff, I did a piece on five artists uh, you should listen to if you're a fan of the Beastie Boys. Um, That's over there right now. And the most obvious one to me was a band I spoke about last year uh, when this podcast was Riot Act at the end of the, I think it might be the very last ever, one of the very last Riot Acts, when we reviewed Reading. Reading Festival, and um, I saw Joey Valance and Bray, who are the Pennsylvanian rap duo Joey Bertolino and Brandon Luge, and um, they don't actually seem to have an album out yet, Joey Valance and Bray, but I saw them, and they were so exciting because I was just like, well, okay, so these two kids are like 20, right, and the tent was packed at like 11.30 in the morning with very young people, Tom, very, I felt very much my foot then 42 years in that tent i have to say you felt like there should have been a safeguarding procedure done before you're allowed in yeah i I felt like i i just looked like i was there to pick up my kids at the end of the day Uh, right it was like 11 11 30 in the morning hurry up if you remembered your pa kit (laughs) and these guys came on right and i didn't know anything about them they came on dressed in homemade like um night uniforms so they were dressed like knights because they had never played britain before i guess so they were dressed like kind of knights of the realm but it was all made out of like cardboard shields and plastic swords and stuff very power metal you would have liked it and, it, sounds like, um, it sounds like ailstorm on a budget or what's their other band <laughs> glory hammer yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but without the disgusting sexism, yeah, basically. Yeah. And um and they these two guys came on and they burst into this like massive boom bap old school like late eighties, early nineties fun hip hop, right? And I was like, my God, they're amazing, they're great. And they just really, really like they sound so much like the Beastie Boys so much like the kind of Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head era Beastie Boys. Like, And I was like, holy shit. And these kids, this whole tent went berserk for them, went absolutely berserk. And I was like, this is something which is definitely relatable to what I like. So anyway, um, I went back to them this week because I'm not properly listened to them. And they've got a single which came out last year called Punk Tactics. And it's just... It, if you squint hard enough when you look at them, you're like, those are the two remaining Beastie Boys stuck in some kind of like youth regeneration chamber and then spat back out onto a stage. And this song is just pure fucking Beastie Boys. It is, and you know, we don't, we don't have the Beastie Boys anymore. So if you are a fan of the Beastie Boys, I mean, these two are eerily similar to the Beastie Boys and not in a kind of like, you know, right copycat pastiche sort of way. Well, they're so young that I just think, are they even aware of the Beastie Boys? Do you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're both, they're like 19, 20 years old. And Adam Yelch died in 2012. So I'm like, well, you'd have been like 
eight when he died. And it's not like the Beastie Boys were massive then. I think they just know, oh, we want to create kind of old school hip hop. But were th- and wasn't that, haven't there been like a big Beastie Boys revival in terms of their popularity? There was the book. Because there was... There was a book and documentary yeah well they also seem to crop up in loads of films at that point because when um jj abrams relaunched star trek in 2009 um uh mm. sabotage was on the soundtrack like really prominently yeah but mate that's 14 years ago now though do you know what i mean yeah they would like, be five still a ban <laughs> yeah like do you know what i mean so i like maybe they like what i'm saying is i don't think it's a cynical thing they sound like the beast oh Wars, i'm not suggesting and- it was no, 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 I don't think you were, but I'm, I'm just saying, I don't, like, this doesn't, they don't seem cynical to me, and, and even if you do go, well, they're just fucking, they're just copying the Beastie Boys, I'm well up for, like, new Beastie Boys, because they're the fucking Beastie Boys, and Punk Tactics is proper, like, hit you with the, with the, with the, with the Punk Tactics, it's fucking great, it's just, it's 2 minutes 23, big, like, dumb, fucking, bouncy, boom bap, hip-hop, really, really cool, big fucking pop hook, like i love these guys they're fucking great and they're they seem to be like connecting with young kids like this has had on spotify hold on fucking hell nearly 50 million plays on spotify and it what? came out about a year ago 50 million 50, mi- 50 million fucking plays. hell well, it's, yeah well if that's that's far too many to get on the cover of the nme apparently i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah like where's their fucking enemy cover that's a, that's they like, should have an enemy annual they should have a decade annual dedicated to them they've got 1,616,641 monthly listeners so they're kind of a big deal now I didn't actually realise they were such a big deal because they were on at 11.30am on the dance tent at Reading last year and I was like oh they're a little I've, I've discovered this little thing I'm just looking at it Punk Tactics is their biggest song but they've got a song called Underground Sound, which is great as well, which has got 16 million plays on Spotify. Uh, that's still a lot. 16 million that's is still a lot, lot of yeah. listens. It's a hell of a lot. Yeah, 1.6 million listeners per month. Just to put that into perspective for you, Slipknot have... Oh, Slipknot... Okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't have worry Slipknot about got it. quite <laughs> a lot? Because Slipknot's still Slipknot really got, popular. Yeah, uh, Slipknot have got 12 million uh, okay, let's try somebody else. Okay, don't worry about that. I was going to say Corn, they've got 10 million. Um, oh, who's kind of big, but not massively, massively big? Parkway Drive. How many Parkway Drive got? Parkway, this is this is boring, isn't it? I see Parkway Drive. They're only about 600,000 away from Parkway Drive. And, and they sound like more interesting than Parkway Drive. Um, I mean... The Beastie Boys are certainly more interesting than Parkway Drive. I'll say that to be... Uh, um, but the Beastie Boys are more interesting than everybody, to be fair. Um, Public enemy. But... Yeah, uh, I think the Beastie Boys are probably more interesting. Than really? Than okay. Enemy. Yeah. Public enemy sound like Public Enemy, don't they? They always have. They're great. But the Beastie Boys have done started as a hardcore band and they did like that kind of rap rock thing that was you know like obnoxious and got on the front cover of all the tabloids like bandistic filth and then they did that kind of all the kind of the the sound collage mashup stuff on paul's boutique and then they did you know they brought in those kind of like um all the kind of their own instrumentation and created everything themselves doing these kind of jazzy uh things i think you know okay it's quite it's quite an interesting evolution of a band whereas public enemy are just like 
fucking burn here's some big beats here's some fucking angry rhymes fucking burn everything down and that's their whole career but they are okay. great obviously. no I, i've just heard some like i've heard some people who know way more about hip-hop than i ever ever will uh, just talk about mm. how incredibly inventive and original and distinctive they were not just in terms of you know the the actual lyrics and their ability to to rhyme and the way they use rhythm and all that kind of thing which they undoubtedly were as well but in mm. terms of how they use sampling in ways that just were, in, oh. were almost immediately banned because someone went that sounds a bit like piracy and they went fuck off is it and so the legislature who public went, enemy or beastie boys public enemy because they were using yeah, samples I mean, in a way which stopped being legal shortly after Fear of a Black Planet. Well, that's that's Paul's boutique. But like, there are so many samples of so many things, like Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and fucking massive artists on Paul's boutique. There's like 700 samples of things that it, you just couldn't make that album anymore. And I think that's also true of like, you know, Three Feet High and Rising My Dad I Soul, yeah, Public Enemy. Like, early hip-hop was just like, we'll have everything, please. But Beastie Boys took it to an absolutely, like, uh, insane place, I think. I think they're the ones, after Paul's Boutique, people just went, you can't do this anymore. You can't, you can't just take When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin for free and whack it on your album and <laughs> rap over it and just not expect to have to pay any money. It's ridiculous. Um, but anyway, Joey Vance and Bray, really fucking good do you like if you like the bc boys at all it has got a bit of that sabotage feel to it tom i think if you're into that you might quite like it i will definitely check that out check it out check it out all right okay um before we kick off i just want to say really really quickly uh i went to three i've been to three gigs in the last week um how's the bag if you oh my god well mate i'll get to the last one which is just absolutely destroyed me but um i'll let you pick in which order we talk about them quickly tom because i'll focus on the one you most want to focus on now i might just kind of skim over the others tenacious d uh -huh. yeah not that probably no tenacious d depeche mode and rancid where would you like me to start uh let's uh well let's put um uh, tenacious d in the middle so that we can finish and start on a high note uh let's uh, start on rancid Okay, so I saw Rancid the other night, right? Um, I think Rancid are the greatest punk band ever. Song for song, the fucking greatest punk band of all time. Bad religion. No, 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 no. Bad religion are excellent, obviously, are excellent. But Bad Religion, I don't think there's a Bad Religion album which is just fucking fizzy and exciting as Outcome the Wolves. Suffer. Outcome the Wolves. <sighs> I, 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 controversially, I don't think Suffer's even the best Bad Religion album. No, it's not. Generator's the best. Or, well, Generator Against the Grain are the best. Probably my first and second choice. Okay, well, you're going to think I'm a right sellout then because I think Strangers and Fiction is the best one, personally. No, that's very, very good. I will admit that that's yeah, an excellent is. record. It's certainly yeah. top five, but I would say that there's that kind of that 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 run they did between ninety eight oh, and ninety ninety four, yeah. where it just go, uh, yeah, you know, everything in there up to recipe for hate, yeah, um, yeah, oh, God, American Jesus, what a fucking great song that is, um, mm. yeah, yeah, you know, all that stuff they did there, and like it was uh, the all ages uh, compilation was the thing that got me into them. I just went, that is. In terms of a greatest hits record, 
that is about as fucking good as any greatest hits record you'll ever, ever, ever hear. And that includes yeah. the live version of Fuck Armageddon, This Is Hell, which is much better than the album version. Well, mate, I tell you what, um, uh, if you want to know what Rancid's greatest hits collection is called, it's called An Outcome the Wolves. Um, yeah. Even though they do have Fair. other songs, right? Uh, if they actually they actually do have other songs. So, look, they're supported by the Skints and the Bronx. I really want to see the Bronx because I love the Bronx, but... I ended up going with about seven of my mates from school. So this is not going to be a particularly coherent review because basically it was like the fucking world's end. You've seen that film with Simon Pegg where they all meet up and they haven't seen each other for fucking years and they go to a pub. And he's still on a Sisters of Mercy t-shirt, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so basically it was was like that. And all of my mates who stopped listening to music in about 2001 just went... um, I was like, do you want to go and see the Bronx? We've got to go and see the Bronx. And they were like, who's that? And I was like, okay, don't worry about it. So we just sort of stayed in the in the pub. And it was it was actually like, it was fucking lovely to just see people from my village who I used to go to, literally used to go to school with, who I don't get to hang out that much and go, we used to go to gigs all the time. Um, but Rancid, come on. Rancid at Wembley Arena, right? You would imagine would be, it's... <sighs> You don't really want to see, you know, it was originally going to be at Brixton. It's been moved to Wembley. You don't really want to see a punk rock band in an arena, really. No. Can you imagine, like, no, you know, no effects or bad religion or something like that? Like, there are a few. Yeah. Yeah. Green Day can play arenas. That's kind of their yeah, they st- home from home now. But they stopped being a punk band a long time ago, really. A long time ago. Yeah. I think Offspring would work in an arena yeah. as well. No, that was, that's probably one of the better ones. But th- you have to be a certain age and a certain like the energy has to be a certain thing like i the probably the band i saw most up until i was about 25 was sick of it all i do not want to see mm. that band anywhere bigger than the underworld and in fact i don't want to see them anywhere else i've seen them at the underworld a bunch of times i never want to see them in a bigger venue entirely selfish Mate. they would probably like to be playing wembley i don't want to see them in a plus in a, a, a venue over 600 cap well, I tell you what, mate. Two of the best sick of it all shows I've seen were the main stage at Reading Festival in 1999, and they played. Do you remember Deconstruction Festival? It was like a punk oh. festival that happened about in the late, in the early 2000s, right? So they did it in like on the Isle of Dogs the first year, and I think it was like No Effects, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, and Snapcase. And then the next year, they moved it to the now defunct London Arena, aka the single worst music venue oh yes history. wasn't that where Do you remember that place i vaguely remember that wasn't that where rancid had their their like uk coming out party uh, did i say rancid i meant ramstein uh bef- like long before yes. he before you know we knew certain things that we've discovered recently um yeah but like the, I, that was the thing that was their kind of um the UK public's introduction to just how much fucking fire they brought and everyone came back yep. saying great show shit venue that was my abiding worst memory worst fucking venue worst venue I only been there twice I sort of went to that the, the lost weekend when you know Trent Reznor had a fucking overdose and Nine Inch Nails didn't play and everyone just fucking fucked off and the really ang- all the angry goths and then I went for the Deconstruction Festival which is headlined by Pennywise I believe it was Pennywise Lagwagon A uh, bouncing souls, boy sets fire, cap down. Oh God, this I'm is sick of it all. This is the most 2002 bill I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And sick of it all in the middle of the day, right? So it was fucking like July, early August, sweltering hot, like so hot. 
ran out of water, ran out of drink, but wouldn't let you outside. It was back in the day where it was like, oh no, come into the arena at 11am and leave at 11pm, but you're not allowed outside and we've run out of water. So people, by the time Sick of It All came on at about like half five, people were like, losing their shit right they were and it was going to be a fucking riot and then sick of it all come on what do you think is going to happen and mate people were just picking stuff up across the arena there was like all the plastic cups that were like dotted all around this arena people were just fucking lobbing them back and forth across each other and like the security were trying to fucking you know stop ten thousand tired dehydrated angry punks who were fucking slamming each other to scratch the surface and chucking everything around, like seeing them try and like re- retain some sort of order. And it's like, if you just let us out to go to the fucking shops over the road and buy a bottle of water, this probably, w- or go, you know, the people just get, get some fucking air. This probably wouldn't be happening. But it like, it, it, it fucking boiled over into, you don't need much to make a sick of it all show go pretty nuts but that boiled over that day and it was weirdly fucking brilliant it was it was so good so i'm guessing so, rancid wasn't quite like that rancid wasn't like that i mean rancid was a lot of people with bad backs and bad knees like me um they came on and played tomorrow never comes and they are the only band left on the planet i think who make me who I'm like I have to, I have to go down the front I have to go down the front as soon as they kicked into Roots Radicals as a second song I was just in and someone said to me like oh what was it like it being an arena it wasn't full it wasn't sold out you know the back curtain was across the you know the back seats and stuff the seating area was I'd say like generously say half full but the floor was absolutely packed I reckon they did sell some more tickets um, in the aftermath of it being moved to Brixton but Tomorrow Never Comes, Roots Radical Radio, Maxwell Murder, The Eleventh Hour, Journey to End of the East Bay, Dead Bodies, Black and Blue, East Bay Night, Psychic Salvation, Blood Clot, Ghost of a Chance, Gunshot, Listed MIA, Hoover Street, I Want to Riot, Old Friend, War's End, Summit in the World Today, Rejected, St. Mary's, Olympia WA, Fall Back Down, Tenderloin, Time Bomb, Ruby Soho. As a 27-song set list, blasted out in less than an hour and a half. Just fucking great chant along fun punk music like i was sort of skanking away but it thing it's not like a violent pit it's more like people putting their arms around each other and being like way it was a sort of that football crowd kind of feel to it so but even that is too much for my body and i did wake up the next morning like regretting dead, your life basically. choices yeah really regretting my life choices hung over i think i broke my elbow um my mate got his hat nicked classic it was really good, man. Oh, I mean, they're just that sounds amazing. They're just, yeah, they're just a sort of a reliably fun live band, which is what you want, isn't it? Job it's done, like, isn't it? It's w- l- yeah. Like why I always go and see Clutch whenever they're in town. It's just you know you're gonna have yeah. a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like whatever they play. I mean, admittedly, if if Rancid were to play, like, hey, we're not gonna play anything from the nineties. We're gonna do everything from the last three albums. You would go. Yeah, I'm going ah, to the pub. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, lads. I'm not sure about that. But luckily, they know exactly where their bread is buttered. And Tim Armstrong still remains the worst singer and the worst guitarist in a professional band, yet somehow the coolest motherfucker in the world. It's really, really weird. He can't sing. He can. There was one point where everyone cut out and he played. He had to play a, like, a little solo bit. And I was like, you're like someone with... You're like a 
sort of four-year-old with no hands who's never seen a guitar before, mate. Like you, he can't play the. He cannot play. He can't play a chord. Like he's he's fucking terrible. And all the way through, he's just like slurring, going to Mike, going, yeah, like Lord only knows what he's saying. You've only got a ghost of a chance, my friend. But he's just cool. He's just a cool guy. Big beard, fucking leather jacket, spiderweb tattoos. Lad. Fucking lad. Punk rock Billy Gibbons is what you're saying. Oh, no, Billy Gibbons yeah, can really yeah. fucking play. What am I saying? But, and he's an m- amazing singer. I retract that statement entirely. It's just the beard. He's got the beard. Punk, but like Billy. <laughs> cool, yeah. and, but otherwise, has nothing. he's nothing like Billy Gibbons. No, no, not at all. Sorry, if it's ZZ Top man. fans out there, I apologise for that. That was a really, really inappropriate comparison. And not no, I wasn't... and not kind of what normally is an inappropriate comparison when we talk about ageing rockers these days. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't going to bring you up on it, but I did think to myself, well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, anyway, um, they were fucking great. Uh, very, very quickly, I also saw Tenacious D. Now, oh, Tenacious God. D... Uh, shit is the word you're looking for I, I mean look I weirdly as we discussed earlier this year if you've been listening to the podcast all year particularly on our Patreon page weirdly I have a little bit of kind of nostalgic love for that debut Tenacious D album I think Jack Black and Carl Gass are very likeable dudes right do yes. you know what I mean they're no, big that's true they're, 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 they're big sort of rotund disheveled looking men with acoustic guitars who somehow managed to sell out and fuck me tom did they sell out the o2 it was sold out sold out like it was it was so sold out i was like i cannot see a single like i've seen he's like john he's a hollywood movie star but he's yeah but i mean how far is that gonna get you i mean can 30 Wait, seconds what? to Mars set out the O2? Oh, they probably have. I, I try not try not mm, to probably see they. what they do because it's always depressing. But they, the, I mean, yeah. being, but being Kiefer Sutherland or Hugh Laurie, could they set out the O2? They've got music careers. I'm not pr- sure. Probably. <laughs> and maybe not, no, maybe not Kiefer Sutherland. But I, I don't know. He has been in some big films, Jack Black. And he is a very, very... Yeah, really big. He's very famous. He's not just a big he's famous. He's very, very... Like, it's one of those... One of those, you know, you see, I was looking at him and I was like, oh my God, there's Jack Black. You know, you go to a gig, you don't normally go, yeah. oh my God, there's... And I was probably like, oh my God, there's Jack Black. That's fucking, that's cool. The, the weirdest one I had Black. like that was when I, I was, can't remember why, I was doing some like errands for classic rock and Vox Bops. That's what I was doing. I was, mostly, I was there to do some Vox Bops for uh, classic rock. And I got asked do you want to go and see Alice Cooper at the 100 Club? To which I said, yes, I do. Yes, I would like to see a fucking massive star in a 300-cap venue, which is mostly horizontal, so you're never more than about 20 feet from the stage. Yes, I would. It's one of the best gigs I've ever been to. And he said, I'd like you to in- I'd like to introduce my friend Johnny D. And you- then they started playing the Schools Out. And he had a guest guitarist called one Johnny Depp. And I went, mm. oh, fuck, that's Johnny Depp. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't go to that, but that would have been cool. Yeah, and I was standing in front of um, uh, Matey from Spanel Ballet. He's played Steve Owen, uh, Martin Kemp. Martin Kemp. Yeah, I was standing nice. directly in front of Martin Kemp, and I went, "That's Martin Kemp from Spanel Ballet," and that then did, and then friends. he got rather overshadowed by Alice Cooper and Johnny Depp being in front of me. 
Well, um, I saw Johnny Depp playing guitar. Uh, when he came out, he played a few songs with Marilyn Manson at Wembley a few years ago. That now feels like a gig that I, I wouldn't now attend. That, that's called cancelled you know I mean? fest, I think is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I look back at that and go, oh, I was impressed by that at the time. Don't think you'd get me there now. Anyway. Marilyn Manson um, redeemed just... by a Nazi. Hmm. Um, I uh, I don't have loads to say on Tenacious D. What I will say is this. They've got a couple of songs that I quite like. They did a cover of Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. They did a cover of Wicked Game by Chris Isaacs. They did a cover of Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin. So, you know, they chuck some songs in where you go, look, those are great songs, right? Um, they are likeable. They are genuinely, now and again, they did a few things. Some of the set pieces, some were funny. Some weren't so funny. They got a roadie on and they were like, oh, the pyro's not working. And then he kept hitting it and then a load of stuff all exploded. And you were like, well, I kind of saw that coming a fucking mile off as soon as you said the pyro's not working. So that didn't work so well. Um, they chucked in Wonderboy in tribute, like fifth and sixth in the set list. That sounds a risk. Which I think is absolutely maddening thing to do. But it didn't really matter because it's one of the loudest fucking sing-alongs i have ever heard for the whole set list there's stuff on there that I, you know there's a load of stuff in there that i just don't know i'm looking at the set list now and it's like well i i don't know a bunch of these songs i mean looking at what they were taken from so it's five from the pick of destiny i think i listened to that i don't really know much of it four from the self-titled album which i knew three from rise of the phoenix never listened to that three covers two others and one from the complete masterworks too i don't know what that is right um so i didn't know loads of the songs so i can't really say if they're like great funny songs or whatever um when they ended the before the encore they did a solo section where not just jack black and carl gas but the drummer the guitarist and the bassist all did a solo each oh and I god was like, i am really not here for that and it went on for about half an hour like, it was way too long. Um, and I just thought, like, no one's here for your fucking drummer, mate. No. Like the, I, I have seen that and excused it. Like, I think it was, it was either Ozzy Black Osbourne. Sabbath. Or, yeah, it was Black Sabbath, right? And you knew that the reason there was a massive fucking drum solo is that the rest of the band are all pensioners. And that they were going, mm. can we ever rest? And particularly Ozzy. Ozzy's had some, like, mm. difficult shit with his health over the years. It's reasonable for him to say, I need to fucking lie down before he comes on for the encore. I, I don't object to that at all. But when it's when it's a band who are, you know, not quite so veteran, you start going, oh, God. And particularly when, with the greatest of respects, I suspect the drum solo <laughs> that you know, Black Sabbath wasn't that great. had was better. Yeah. yeah yeah it was yeah yeah and i mean you're just about to go off anyway yeah like just cut it off and then go off for your encore because you're still on the stage fannying around you're just like handing it over and so it went on a bit that did go on a bit but you know what um it was a fairly like you know i kind of got swept up in the the enthusiasm for it was mad like i've recently i've been to the o2 quite a lot recently and i mean i think actually like the fucking rabid reception to Paramore is probably the most um, kind of mad arena reception I've seen a band get in a fucking long time. Like those people were losing their shit when Paramore came on. Like 
ready to die <laughs> for Paramore, right? Um, but don't want to die for Paramore. Singing, die for Taylor you don't Swift. Die for anyone, but really. But like, yeah, not for Paramore. But um, but fuck me, people love Tenacious D. And again, it was quite hard. To, like, I could have been a curmudgeon and gone like, I don't know what this song is or whatever. But like, actually, quite a good time against all the odds, Tom. I had, I would say, I had quite a good time. If you're asking me what my least favorite gig that we're going to be talking about is, it was Tenacious D by quite some. That margin. does not right. surprise me, Steve. Yeah, but it was it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. Um, let's move on to what was comfortably, comfortably my favorite gig of the week. Um, Depeche Mode at Twickenham, um, supported by Young Fathers. Um, shout out Young Fathers who like support at a stadium man is there a more thankless fucking job in the music industry than support band at a stadium it's brutal that isn't it it's yeah because no one's there for you like i've seen yeah. i've seen it really i haven't been to all that many stadium gigs because fuck stadium shows but that's just a reason i like kind of i like my gigs at like max four, four and a half k capacity um mm. but yeah you can just vanish can't you there is so much space to just disappear into and there is such yeah. a large crowd that can just go like there is nothing, nothing like the apathy of fifty thousand people. Yeah, and to be fair to Young Fathers, who I thought were pretty, I thought were good, right? His new album that we reviewed on the podcast earlier this year uh, is still an album that I listen to a bunch. When you are a kind of Scottish, African, um, Afrobeat, hip hop, electro ambient jazz mashup band and you're faced with a load of people who like goth music from the 80s uh you are probably gonna struggle to win most of them over regardless right it's like putting an emo band on at roadburn yeah it it was a like it was a great choice of support because young fathers are fucking great um, where I was stood, the sound didn't really hit. I, it just made me go, I would love to see this. It just made me go, I want to see this in its right environment, which would be a club. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a 2,000 capacity, 2,500 capacity club. That there would be fucking amazing. I thought the set list was great. They looked like unbelievably cool. They're one of the fucking coolest looking bands I've seen before. It's the three guys who front it. Um, they had like a bass player and a drummer and a keyboard player. And they had these two like sort of insanely um energetic kind of backing vocalist so you know normally where you get like the two the two like the the trope is oh we're gonna get two pretty girls to be the backing vocalists and they'll just stand at the back and occasionally you know move like the two move one arm forward and then the other one forward like they're jogging incredibly slowly but in rhythm yeah well their their backing singers had their mics and were like in the front of the stage knelt down like getting in people's faces it was fucking great man it, they, they, they all they look they just look so fucking cool really cool band not the right audience for them and not the best environment to see them in but i would thoroughly recommend them but i have waited for some for a band who are in my favorite probably my top 10 favorite bands of all time I've waited a long time to see Depeche Mode. And if you are going to, what I will say regarding stadium gigs, if you are going to go to a stadium gig, and I'm going to a few this summer, I think Twickenham is the best stadium to have a gig in. Having been to Wembley, having been to uh, the West Ham ground, um, having been to a, a 
where what other stadiums I've been to? I've been to a couple of other ones. Twickenham's definitely the best, I think. Definitely. Well, I mean, you do have some great spec, great history there of great you know spectacles there've been, such as uh, Lloyd Williams' crossfield kick in the 2015 Rugby World oh, Cup. You fucking lost me here, mate. You've you've lost me here. I don't know what you're on about now. This is a problem. Uh, so, well, th- there was a, a particularly embarrassing incident where um, it was England hosting the World Cup and they were not doing so well, and they needed to beat Wales to. Um, go through and Wales would just had half the team go off injured and so they had you know they someone who's supposed to be playing in the middle of the pitch playing right on the wing and uh, he cropped up and he 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 kicked the ball across the pitch for the guy who came on uh, to play in his position to score under the posts and Wales dumped England out of their own World Cup and I pissed myself laughing to the extent where there is a day every year where I I just turn to my uh, partner and say Lloyd Williams day which obviously <laughs> he he as an England fan absolutely fucking loves, um, but yeah, I can I'm sure it it must be reasonably good because they keep using it, and like there's too there's too many other options that people go no Twickenham's mm. a bit shit and we're not going to play do we're not going to have a gig there. I you know like you am not mad keen on stadium shows. They're busy. They're hard to get into the queues and blah, 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 blah. but. I think Twickenham is really, really good. Depeche Mode, for whatever reason, I've just never seen them before. No one would go with me. I couldn't afford it. Uh, it clashed with, you know, Reading or Download. There have been many, many times over the years where I thought, oh, I'll go and see Depeche Mode, and I just haven't done it. Um, and I'm not quite sure what that is. I suppose there was a period where I probably didn't think about them that much. But after kind of after Andy Fletcher died last year, I can't. I wondered if I'd miss my chance to see him, and I was like, "What the fuck? Why didn't you go and see them? Why didn't you go and see them?" Um, so I was never going to miss this, and I just thought that they were absolutely spectacularly brilliant. Um, I'm guessing the, the set list was set, all right, <laughs> mate. The set list was five songs from the new record. So it's the most songs they play from an album. Five songs. Now the new record I think is really good, right? But I was when I saw that I was a bit like, oh, that's quite a lot. And they, you know, the cosmos is my cosmos is mine, which is quite a slow start, and then wagging tongue were the first two songs, and they both sounded really, really good. But when you get to like walking in my shoes, the third song, that's when I was like, holy fucking shit, it's Depeche Mode, and it sounded brilliant. Um, just to give you the set list, walking in my shoes, it's no good. Sister of the night, in your room, everything counts. Precious, my favourite stranger. Uh, a question of lust and soul with me. Martin Gore front in the band for a bit. I'll get to that in a second. Ghosts again, which I thought was the best of the new songs. I feel you, which I lost my shit to. Uh, pain that I'm used to. World in my eyes, dedicated to Andy Fletcher. They brought Andy Fletcher. The, the, the Depeche Mode are a band who, I, I think I said it to my girlfriend as we're coming out, who deal in kind of euphoric darkness. So although they're quite a dark band and the things they talk about are quite kind of, you know, quite, they have, they, they have some bleak thematics in their music. Their music is so fucking euphoric that they manage to, like, they get that balance so perfectly right. And the only time where it felt a bit sad and... And it couldn't not really was during World in My Eyes where they just brought a picture of Andy Fletcher up from when he was young. Right. So probably back in like 1978 when the band first formed. And as the song went on, his face sort of aged as the song went on. And 
at the end they just went that one's um Jave Kahan just went that's for Fletch and that's all they said they didn't do a big like oh you know it's been a really hard year. and and because obviously they're like look you know you've come for a good time and we want to give you a good time and so we're not gonna they're not the sort of band I don't think who would kind of wallow in that too much uh, I say wallow in it if, if bands choose to do that I mean you know like I saw Architects after Tom straight after Tom died and I wouldn't say they wallowed in it but they give Dan the mic and let him talk at Brixton Academy for 10 minutes and it was it was beautiful it, you know it, it, it moved me to tears but some bands don't want to do that and I think Depeche Mode are the sort of band who wouldn't do that and instead the tribute was like really really cool I thought that was really really cool really really nice so world of my eyes and then he did wrong and this is where it gets ridiculous stripped John the Revelator enjoy the silence with an encore of waiting for the night just can't get enough never let me down again personal Jesus fucking hell that's an encore bangers bangers all over the place it was mad I mean it was great and they sounded amazing I mean that's the other thing about Twickenham sounded really good they sounded great those songs are just so fucking brilliant I think you know there are songs that I don't even think of there's like Precious which is like obviously you know one of the I mean it's not that new but newer ones um but man they're a four piece and there's no kind of bells and whistles really with Depeche Mode like they've got two extra members playing drums and keyboards or guitar or bass and then Martin Gore who just sort of stands and does his thing you know when he fronted the band it noticeably dropped in energy and that is because Dave Gahan I think deserves to be in the conversation alongside people like Freddie Mercury and Jim Morrison as literally one of the greatest front men in the history of music he carries and has been carrying stadiums full of people on his back during their shows for nearly 40 years right he's the coolest motherfucker i've ever seen still like in a sequin suit camp as fuck eyeliner proper like you know smoking jacket with sequins all over it spinning dancing curled lip strutting like um, going like there's at one point i think it was um on on it's no good towards the end of it's no good he did a fucking death metal growl he just went because it's not because he normally goes it's no good hey oh hey yo he does all that stuff and at one point he just went Ooh! <laughs> like after a song and i was like wow <laughs> why is dave gahan doing fucking Ugh! at the end of a song he did a proper like Bleh! like he did a blare it was amazing clearly he's been listening to dying fetus he has right and i was just like he is so fucking brilliant like the dude has just got more an unfair amount of charisma and he still look he just looks cool i mean he looks like some kind of sexy game show host sprite from a jim henson movie like the man is a fucking superstar i know you're trying to process that as an idea tom i'm, but, I'm just trying to yeah. process the concept of a sexy game show host i thought that was against the rules <laughs> uh vernon k is he not a sexy game show host? oh no 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 yeah. Uh, oh there's got to be one les not <laughs> les dawson no um but les yeah man, dennis. It, it was fuck <laughs> les dennis yeah i mean enjoy the silence at the end i stood there and it started raining during Enjoy the Science. You know how much I hate the rain, standing in the rain for gigs? I, it's the worst. It was so hot, it just felt lovely. 
and calling and i was like i feel like finally feel like i know it's the obvious one enjoy the silence and it's their biggest song um but it, i just fucking i i felt so like overjoyed to be there that i just properly like broke down I just properly was like, I can't believe I'm finally getting to see this band, this song. And it was just like, it was it was the most joyously euphoric feeling that I've felt in fucking ages. I'm so fucking relieved that I got to see Depeche Mode because I think I would have been devastated if I never got to see them. So it was, it was so good, man. It was so good. And also, if you go back, if you're on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash true pop, it's got all the right act stuff on there as well. We did a double special on um on Depeche Mode and my former co-host uh said um oh Dave Gahan's a bit like Maynard James Keenan isn't he he's very in, a very insular performer he's very insular he doesn't really you know, he just kind of keeps himself to himself I watched that man in a blue sequin smoking jacket um with nothing on underneath like duck walking and spinning around a circle in front of 80,000 people at Twickenham the other day and I didn't think to myself, oh, what an insular performer. <laughs> what a stupid thing to say. Anyway. Um, Get off the fence, Steve. What do you really think about it? Yeah. Depeche Mode were fucking brilliant uh, and you should all love them. Uh, anyway, here we go. Uh, Tom, I got you on. We, we basically had a little chat just to give you a little peek behind the curtain. Me and Tom were like, what should we do? And then we, could, we didn't really have any i just went i just have a chat in it like we don't have to really that don't worry about it too much and you were like should we just go on and see if we can hold that conversation keep it interesting and podcast worthy without any kind of planning whatsoever and bloody hell we've done 55 minutes i think i think we're doing all right so far tom i think really. it, it's quite possible we vaguely know what we're talking about it it, it, it when it comes to actually putting some words in order in a vaguely coherent way we might be wrong but at least we'll be confidently wrong yeah well we'll see if how wrong we get because basically i said give us one word and it will start off a chat so that's what i said on twitter and you you replied and um a bunch of people uh got back to us and um i'm just sort of scrolling through stuff now uh so let's pick one at let's start with with matt d linking bio who says, Abba, Tom, Abba. The greatest right? pop band now, ever. I mean, when you say that, I mean, I, they're not my personal favourite pop band ever. But I, I can't, you can't argue against that. Here's how I feel about people who have a net. Where, Abba are one of those, those, those bands that like, as soon as someone says to me, oh, Abba is shit. I immediately I assume go, they're homophobic. Like, I mean, I just immediately kind of dismiss whatever else they think, right? They're one of those bands. It's a bit like, I, I listen to ABBA and I just think they're a bit like that, that thing that I say all the time about like um, Motown, where you just, where I just think like, I just don't understand how you can listen to Motown and go, this is, this is rubbish. Like I just, I, it just, it, I cannot imagine the brain and the mindset of someone who does that. And I kind of feel like that about ABBA. I just think they are such a fucking undeniably, br like, to call them brilliant songwriters <laughs> feels like to be disastrously under-egging the pudding, doesn't it, really? I mean, it's not just 
under-egging the pudding. It's like, it's basically like saying Pele was a bit good at football, right? It's it's an understatement which doesn't really do it justice or that, you know... Yeah, Pele, Pele had a decent right foot. Yeah, or that Rembrandt was all right with a brush. It's, it's, yeah. it's what the, the hardest thing to do in music is a short, simple, and incredibly memorable song, right? Anyone can mm. write fucking 10 minutes of waffle, but to, to do it really concisely and it and there'd be no flab and it all be excellent, that's really fucking hard. And you you put on ABBA's greatest hits, right? You put on uh, ABBA Gold, which is arguably the greatest hits record anyone's ever made. I know I said, mm-hmm. you know... I said all ages by bad religion's quite good. I'm sorry. I, 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 sorry, Greg. I think that holds a candle to Abergold. Sorry, Greg. Really? Sorry, Brett. The, you've just lost to Abergold, which is just there is one song in there that I don't think is a ten out of ten, and that's the winner take it all takes it all, which I just think it's a bit of a mood killer. It's not a bad song. It's just everything else is basically leaves me feeling amazing, and that one makes me feel kind of <laughs> mournful if, and introverted you know- in Swedish. But if you know the story and the context of it, it's just such a... I mean, again, like, you know, I I think those songs, there's nothing that you... There's no kind of extraneous stuff that you need to make fucking Mamma Mia or Fernando sound brilliant, right? Yeah. You don't need true. any... You don't need to know. Like, and if I walked up... If, I, if, if an alien came down and plonked itself down on planet Earth and went... Um, Show me an example of you, you, this music stuff. Show me an example of a good song, right? And I put Winner Takes It All on. I would need to go, all right, now, before I put this on, what you need to understand is, is that they'd broken up and they had, you know, the, the two pairs were, and so he's basically singing. He's written it for her to sing about him. And do you know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't have to do that. But if you do know that, that is like, and absolutely and this is again i think the kind of genius of 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 a band like abba or well of abba is that these songs are are just are deceptively complex whilst also being beautifully simple in every way you're right every kind of simplistic element that goes into making a iconic three and a half minute instantaneous pop song are there but there's also this kind of layer beneath it of just ridiculously complicated and high art ideals I know it seems weird to sort of like people might go high art ABBA but genuinely genuinely like some fucking stupendously complex shit going on in ABBA oh yeah ABBA songs that you don't even need to acknowledge to enjoy but that's I'm gonna go off on a really pretentious arc here. The, the, the part of the reason <laughs> that Mozart is so brilliant is that he, I mean, he was the kind of the definitive artist of the the classical with a capital C style. So classical music as a, a as a broad genre with a small c is incredibly broad and encompasses several hundred years of different artists and different styles and different movements. Classical music with a capital C was a very very specific movement that ran from kind of the 1760s to about 1810 at the latest and he was kind of the definitive composer of that and that the stylistic definition was kind of elegance in in its simplicity so it's not doing ridiculous ridiculously intricate 
interwoven harmonies, which was what had been popular just before. It was focusing on the kind of the perfect harmonies. And it did that absolutely stunningly well. And he was the best of them because he could do this incredibly complicated, difficult, technically profound stuff that made you feel like, you know, the the greatest joy you've ever felt or the or the darkest sadness but you you always felt you could get through it but it would sound quite simple you'd be able to take it in in one go and it's only when you kind of look beneath the hood that you realize this incredibly uh smooth elegant machine is a fucking porsche right abba do that in pop music form it's it's doing something that's actually quite you know it requires you to be a very good musician you can't just pick up a guitar and write that through natural genius two minutes later you actually have to study and practice and and work on your craft and perfect example is waterloo which is very much not their best song as we've spoken about before it's still very very good but it's not like it's not that good and then as they go on they got much better which is saying something given how good that song actually is but mm. like that's who Abber are is it's make it's doing something which sounds effortlessly simple and that you can take in in one listen and then you look at it in detail and go fuck me there's a lot going on there yeah i'm really uh, quite delighted with the i guess the sort of the um the rock world's critical reappraisal of abba because i felt like when i was growing up people like even my mum like used to say to me abba i hated abba when they were out like you know my mum was into sort of folk music and you know um i guess i kind of a bits of bobs of punk and stuff like that oh I've, i used to hate abba but i've realized they're brilliant and i think you do get to an age where you just go oh actually i, I feel like this about the, i mean i said it before about the beatles as well this whole thing where <laughs> every generation comes along and goes Oh, we were the first ones to not like the Beatles. Oh, we hate the Be- hate breeder better than the Beatles. Oh, could have that. And it's and it's like, well, you you'll get to thirty five and you'll go, oh no, I was massively wrong because no, everyone always fucking does. You will, mate. No, you, oh, actually, you're older than that. You don't, mate. <laughs> do you not? Do you not feel like that at all about the Beatles that they're in, I, of, of a similar? No, I really, really tried to get into the Beatles because my mum just absolutely fucking adored them. And for a long time, I worked really hard at trying to like the Beatles. And then I just got to one point where I went, no, no, can't fucking stand them. And it was, it's not, it's, it's not me, it's them. It's, they are, it, I just don't like them. And it's not a... You can see it though, right? You can see how they're yeah, absolutely, but, absurdly brilliant. Like, yeah, but it doesn't mean I actually enjoy it. No, 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 of course. Well, mate, let's move on, in fact, okay. actually, to another another word that people said. Uh, Tom Harvey, um, and somebody else sent this as well. But let's just say Tom, uh, I want to find the other person, actually, who said it. Uh, Tom and jo- Johnny Blot said, objectively. They're doing a little joke here because they know that when it's on right act, every week, one of us, not me, would go objectively this is good and if you don't think it you're wrong and i know you have strong feelings about that as yes. an idea within music yes. to say something is objectively good or bad yes yes well and there are things that you can talk about in terms of music that are objective but they're more in terms of musicology rather than like as yeah, an artistic exactly. value so you can talk about what key something's in that's an objective thing you can say what note something mm-hmm. is or the 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 tempo in terms of beats per minute and or the the more traditional definition which has very specific um categorizations in terms of beats per minute now um and all that kind of thing that's objective right and it's there you will 
if you read music uh, criticism, criticism rather than music critique rather than criticism, so someone actually dissecting the musicology and saying, well, the reason this makes you feel this is because it shifts from this key to this key and so on and so forth. That can be really interesting, and that's kind of the one piece of music like reviewing that I still actually rate really highly. Um, but music is ephemeral by its very nature. It doesn't exist apart from in in the era of the perceiver, because it we perceive you know a song or an album as this kind of whole thing, but it only exists with us at any one time for a fraction of a second, and then it's on to the next thing. It, but we, because we have you know brains that have a complex perception of time, we are able to put that into a whole. But objectively, it's kind of there and it's gone instantly. There, it, it's why it's why very interestingly, um, the one thing that the Nazis were absolutely obsessed with kind of Aryanizing art, and it was partly because Hitler was a lunatic wannabe painter who wasn't good enough and had a complex about it. But it was also just that they went well. We, we, everything must be German. We must define what German art is and have uh, have that elevated device. And the one they were least successful at, at doing it was music because it's so hard to define what is this kind of music. And there was all kinds of stuff that they went, this is definitely German music, none of that. And then they used a very racist word in reference to African influences. Um, none of these influences. And someone has later pointed out, yeah, they, they didn't notice that that was a jazz rhythm in the middle of it. And it, because you just, it's so difficult to define things because it only exists in your ear. Otherwise, it's just kind of, it's just sound waves. It's only when you perceive it that has any artistic um, value or lack thereof. So the idea that it is objective is impossible because it doesn't actually exist until it's subjective. Until there is a subject, there's no, there is no object. Yeah, I kind of get that. I mean, what I would say, there's things that, I mean, look, basically, I'm sort of in a place in my life now where I want to enjoy everything, basically. I don't really want to slag stuff. I've heard it before in this podcast before. This is why we cover loads of pop music, loads of hip-hop, loads of, you know, EDM, loads of rock and metal and stuff, and, and try and do everything. It's because, basically, like, I would like to like everything. Do you know what I mean? Like that is that my I I would like to put on every every piece of music I put on. I would like to go. That is brilliant. So I think I go into everything now. Going, I hope I like this. Right. I want to see the best in it. And I think you have to kind of um, manage your expectations of what that artist is trying to do. Like I would take a song like uh, let's think of so um, Mr. Brightside by The Killers. Right. An annoying song undoubtedly yes. right an overplayed annoying song is mr brightside by the killers a bad song it's not a bad song like, i can't say i think you can kind of you could objectively go right production wise everything's in tune uh everything's well sort of sequenced and it's all put together right the chorus it works as a chorus you know brandon flowers's voice is how like the thing that the killers have set out to do with mr brightside they have succeeded in that you might not like it you might go i fucking hate that type of music but there's no point going it's not heavy or you know <laughs> it's not a good this is you know this is not a technically 
you know, this is like, it's easy to play and it's not technically impressive or whatever. So are the Sex Pistols I songs. Think th- That's not relevant. Yeah, I mean, really, I think it? it's not, it, and it, it, it's, yeah, it's not relevant to the killers. It's not relevant to what the killers were trying to do. Um, so I don't think you could look at a song like Mr. Brightside and go, that is a bad song. That is a that is objectively a bad song. I don't think you could do that because I think there's too much evidence weighing against it to say that, well, when you say it's a bad song, essentially what you're saying is you've heard it so many times and it's a style of music which does your head in and every time you go to an O'Neill's in Leicester Square, there's a load of fucking... <laughs> Huddersfield town fans singing it after they've got pissed up like do you know what I mean like those are all those kind of excess variables that add to that song are parts of the reasons why you go oh god I hate this song it's rubbish do you know what I mean see also seven nation army yeah exactly right exactly and like I don't need to hear seven nation army or Mr Brightside ever again as long as I fucking live but I'm not going to, I I don't think I could turn around and go, those songs are are bad. I can see why you wouldn't like them, but I can also see why people would like them. Yeah. If somebody just likes to go out and fucking neck loads of lagers and go, like that's not really the White Stripes' fault. And they're having a good time. Let them have their good time over there. Like, I, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, I think that's, you know, people enjoy music in whatever way they enjoy it, they enjoy it. I don't think you can say it's objectively bad. I actually think so much of it comes down to all the excess stuff that surrounds songs sometimes where people are like, that sucks, it's awful, it's this, it's that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's that's partially a language thing though, right? It's like we say stuff is shit mm. because we don't really... In English, we don't conventionally say, um, I do not like this. We say it's shit, Right. And we sometimes when, do when if we're see... trying to do to articulate it in a particular way. But the the natural instinct is is not to say I do not enjoy this. It's for us to say it mm. bad. And sometimes you know, sometimes we say that about things where it is there is an objective thing. So you know, crazy frog. Yeah, <laughs> I was I, <laughs> like that is I was going to say bad, I, was, right? I was going to say the Tory party, but you know, uh, uh, objectively okay. bad. You know, it has a yeah. negative influence on society. Um, but any that kind of thing, you can say objectively, this is this because you can point to objective measures. Mostly, what we say when this is bad is actually it, we usually mean I don't like it. Hmm. Because and that's fine, and, and it's fine. But it like to, it's when people start talking about music is objectively anything, unless they're talking about well, this technically is in thirteen eight. Well, yes, objectively that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean the song's any good um, or bad for that matter. Um, one of the catchiest songs I ever heard was in thirteen eight. Uh, but you know, the, the the point I'm getting at is that there are very few things where you can say objectively when it comes to music. Art is a bit more is a bit different, and think the moment you get into things like literature, or um, or drama, or uh, uh, fine art and things like that, it becomes okay. There is there, there is definitely a subjective element, but there is a lot more that you can talk about objectivity or objectively because there are more tangible things to it. There are more. Um, permanent pieces of construction that exist 
all at the same time rather than only existing when you hear them. I there the only exception would be I would say people who can um, sight read music and hear it in their head perfectly, which is a rare substrata of, of expert musicians because for them it's a lot less ephemeral. And in in there are the, there are those people. Root, Roots Maneuver can see apparently Roots Maneuver can see music when it's played. He can see the kind of colours. He's got that thing. I don't oh, know this synesthesia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov had it. It was a brilliant Russian composer. Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov was a Russian composer who uh, read a, a French book by a French composer called by called Berlioz. Uh, and the book was all about um, orchestration. And Berlioz was a brilliant composer and used no examples from his own work. It was all examples from other people's work. Rimsky-Korsakov basically rewrote it for a Russian audiences and only used examples of his work. I love that story because it's supreme arrogance. The Jose Mourinho of of composers. Um, <laughs> I forgot where I was going with that. Uh, but but th- I, there are people who can sight read music and hear it perfectly in their head. Because it's one, the difference between the folk tradition and the classical tradition is that folk musicians just memorize everything and nothing exists on paper, and that classical musicians, it doesn't exist in their head, except for a few soloists. Uh, it's all on the paper, and they just kind of read it and they hear it in their heads. And conductors can do that. Good, a good conductor can see this enormous score and know what it should sound like altogether without actually having heard it. For those particular people, it might be there might be a bit more objective because it it's less of an ephemeral thing. But for most of us, it kind of it only exists when we hear it or would, think would, of it. I would say so again to give you another example of having done like broken records or your crap pop uh true crap pop um over the time one of the albums that i went back to and i was like i mean this is just bad however you slice it right was the true symphonic rockestra which was um it, it's it's james lebray from um from dream theater oh god this is gonna two, go badly <laughs> two um opera singers and some bloke who decided he wanted to do metal versions of classical and opera songs. Oh my God. Now, initially, so when you talk about objectivity, I would say objectively, that's quite a bad idea. Like you're starting from a place where you go, this music already exists in a fairly perfect format, right? So already, I think you you are attempting something which feels like, arrogance and folly on your part right i i don't think that that's you know like too much of a kind of mad stretch to say he also didn't bother getting an actual orchestra in which again the cuss cutting the the cut the cost cutting and cheapness of it on the production you could go well look mate obviously a real full kind of 64 piece orchestra is going to create that music more um faithfully than your synthesizer violin patch that you've got on your casio keyboard like it it just is right and then also <laughs> you've got the fact that he picked you, he's he was had these kind of ideas of grandeur where he was going ah oh, i'm gonna bring classical music to metal fans whilst then also just picking like the fucking cornetto advert and it's like well mate if you're gonna do that surely you would pick stuff that people don't just go, oh, it's uh, just one cornet. James LeBray going, just one cornet. Do you know what I mean? And I just think when you talk about, like, it's not 
as much as what you're talking about but in terms of the things that you that a normal person could adequately describe about a record that's as close to being kind of objectively foolhardy as i think any records like someone might turn around and go yeah yeah but i like it and that's fine i just want big beefy guitars with the opera songs that i know but at the same time i would turn around and go don't you think it's a bit cheap don't you think it's a bit of a cash in don't you think it's a bit foolhardy don't you think you should have used a real orchestra all of those things are quite tangible things that you can go do you not think that was a bad idea? Do you not think that's kind of like bad? Yeah, but a lot of that we're kind of either getting more into the musicology stuff again. So we're saying, you know, this is played on this instrument. That's an objective thing. Yeah. Rather than saying, but to, and saying, therefore, it, and, but the therefore that is bad is more an inference. Now, I would agree that that sounds abominable and I've just looked at the track list and I'm already kind of starting to grind my teeth. Mary, please do not do this to yourself. No, I'm not going to listen. No, I'm not going to listen to it. Never do that. I'm not going to listen to it. I promise you. Don't do Um, it. You will be you very upset. I will be very, very angry. And I quite like Dream Theater and so I would would have to fall out with James Labrie over that. What, What I kind of would say, though, is that there are a load of people who absolutely adore Dungeon Synth which does use the Casio keyboard, which kind of something exists at the, because, you know, Vagvikinus went to prison, basically, he wasn't allowed to use a proper recording studio, mm. but they would let him have a Casio keyboard. And hey, some people actually like that stuff. And I've got to be honest, occasionally some uh, includes me. I suspect that if I listened to this, I would, you know, start sh- sharpening objects and, um, you know, getting a pitchfork and a burning torch together. But, the, the objectively stuff is quite limited and i'm sorry my dog is sneezing i don't know if you can hear that <laughs> that's all right mate keep it in. it's not i'm not editing that out i want that okay, okay. mate but the thing is as well is like also um a lot of it i think depends on the attitude of the artist as well i mean i think varg going to prison and get like you know the the whole kind of aesthetic of every all the music that he ever put together was like yeah i i am aiming for something kind of cheap and lo-fi and grotty sounding whereas the guy who made the true symphonic orchestra was saying this will be the most brilliantly swooping cinematic thing you've ever heard and then you hear fucking you know his (laughs) electric electric violin patch with some clunky fucking power metal guitar over top and james labrie going (laughs) and you think well that's not what you promised us at all mate yeah of all the of all the um metal singers i want to hear sing ness and dorma james labrie doesn't make the top hundred um Beats awful it's really awful yeah but hey yeah. look i'm sure some people like it and that's good for them um i think we've covered that because i know some people are like probably going yeah they're fucking objectively shit get get over it um we had a few people talking about various festivals just one word festivals so i'm going to put them i'm going to kind of link them all together um captain nixon has said sonosphere oh uh, I miss jonathan sonosphere. travaglia has said roadburn and adam travers adam open brackets blue tick close brackets has said download now i spoke about download quite a lot and we reviewed download on the podcast last week so i don't really feel like i need to say that much more about download uh, the other two are interesting, though. I mean, people love festivals, Tom. They do. People love festivals, don't they? They do. I I would... Actually, Download and Sonofer is quite a good two to compare. And I want to say, this has nothing to do with lineup. Because I've been to Downloads with amazing lineups. I went to Sonosphere with amazing lineups. The, I, I would probably say that Sonosphere 
probably got what I like a bit better. But me too. It, w- yeah, it was definitely. It, I certainly have been to downloads where I went, no, this is fucking great. So, you know, I I don't think I can really say good one, good to one and bad to the other. It's good to both on that front. The interesting thing was that Sonosphere, I went, this is the limit of how big a festival I can cope with. At least on, I would do kind of one as a one-off once and never again that was a certain size if it was the right thing. So uh, the perfect Vakken lineup for me, yes, of course, I would go back and, and go to Vakken again and sit and kind of see that perfect lineup if it ever happened, which it won't, but, you know, I can dream. But generally, kind of 60, 70,000 is about as big as I can enjoy a festival because beyond that, it gets too busy, it gets too difficult to actually see the fucking band you want to watch it's too far between stages and it it just there's too many things that get between the fun and that you go it, yeah it's kind of it, the bands are great but i'd quite quite like to be able to feel my feet at the end of day one <laughs> yeah true that i mean yeah man download is hard to navigate there's no getting away from it it is a tough old place to navigate particularly when the uh, weather is not good um I've heard a few people saying that, you know, like, I mean, Dave last week was saying it was too hot to go up to that second stage sometimes because it just felt like such a trudge. Um, and like, yeah, I don't really care for big festivals. I mean, the reason I'm not going to Glastonbury, well, the reason I'm not going to Glastonbury is because I'm going to Outbreak. Um, actually, Barold Hishop uh, at Kangana, hello, mate. Uh, he said Outbreak Festival. We'll talk about that next week because I'll be coming back from it and we'll have all the gossip on that festival on next week's podcast so i'm not going to talk about it here but i am excited um sonosphere i just felt like you could see everyone if you want to stand at the back of the field on the main stage you don't even have to move you can just turn around yeah and then there's the second stage and there you go you're watching the next person and that to me is like a you know it's a game changer i mean it's not even a game changer because it's not like it's the first festival that ever did that but to have fucking, you know, Slayer on the main stage and then just turn around and the Mars Volta are on. I mean, it's, that's great. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I, it's just so good. And yeah, you're right. Like, lineup wise, stuff like the Mars Volta or, you know, I remember 100 Reasons got booked on the second stage one year. They were the, Sonosphere was the first festival to give Ramstein a headline festival slot the first festival to give Biffy Clyro a headline slot now if you look I mean obviously you know I'm kind of loath to be bringing up Ramstein too much at the moment and I know that is the second time so we'll just park them for a second because obviously they're a big band um but Biffy Clyro you know no one really at that point really believed that Biffy Clyro could necessarily be a festival headlining band and Sonosphere took a punt on them and now they've headlined Reading twice and download twice like and they are and they count- fully established and they counter pro- programmed it perfectly because they had a load mm. of people kicking off oh that's not a metal band and they went we never said it's a metal festival oh and have you seen who's on the alternative stages at that point because you had a swedish black metal band i used to like but i now think are quite dodgy and don't listen to anymore um and on do they start with a w and end with attain i couldn't possibly chance. comment because because okay, i might fine. have someone shout at me um, or particularly on Twitter, because I've had that. I've had that happen. Um, oh, great! But uh, the, on the uh, in the tent was Paradise Lost, 
Mm. And if you like, well, if you're here for metal, you've got two really great options. You've got the sad, singy one. You've got the fiery, evil one. Go and you pay your money. You take your choice. And I went and saw. Um, uh, I saw a little bit of of Paradise Lost, and then I, I went to see the um, the Swedish black metal band, who were actually very good. Uh, but you know, <laughs> if you. If you like metal, go and see Paradise Lost. They're fucking great. That was the, It was a superb piece of counter-programming. If you like Biffy, you've got them. If you don't, you have two really, really good options. Okay, one of whom we've, I've kind of binned off, but shit happens. I mean, I'm looking at the Sonsu 2011 lineup here, right? You've got the big four on the first day. And, and, and you and know who else was on the first day? Killing Jake. Yes, who ate them. Yeah. You finished watching the Big Four and you went to see Killing Joke be absolutely terrifying, brilliantly, and so, so he was. At his, I know he's he's seldom exactly calm, but he was at his kind of manic, furious, genuinely frightening, crazy man, just bonkers best. Yeah, at like midnight and just like, and again, like the bands went on till fuck to go on till fucking really late, two in the morning, which they don't download for whatever reason. Who knows why? Because um, the neighbours complain. Sort of Europe- oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, which is you know kind of European festival thing. But mate, when you look at this fucking lineup, right? So you've got the big four, a killing joke on the first day. Biffy with Weezer, you meet six. Bad Religion, Cavalera Conspiracy, Architects must have been the first time Architects have been on a a main stage silosis must have been the first time they've been on the main stage the second stage the mars volta all time low okay some 41 kids in glass houses gallows richard cheese and lounge against the machine like what an odd booking yeah that was and then, odd and then like you say you've got the sisters of mercy paradise lost gajira periphery and fucking pulled apart by horses playing the third stage fucking incredible oh, the, and then on the last day the era of gents yeah Slipknot and Limp Biscuit, Motorhead, Mastodon, Parkway Drive, Arch Enemy and Volbeat. I mean, those bands have all gone on to be like Volbeat would uh, way high up on the bill. I'm not much of a fan particularly, but they've gone way high up on the bill at this point. Obviously, Mastodon and Mastodon. Was that the year Motorhead that, and Motorhead? Was that the year uh, Volbeat opened the second stage, the main stage on? I want to say the Sunday, because if it was, yeah. yeah. So I. I was kind of wandering over to the site thinking, oh, who am, am I going to go and see Volbeat? And it was like 20 minutes before they were meant to go on and they were just ready and went, fuck it, should we start? Yeah. And they just started, they gave everyone an extra 20 minutes. And just because they they were ready and they had time and no one was going to tell them no. So they just did it. Yeah. And I went, you know what? You have earned, like, I, I do like Volbeat actually. You have earned a lot of my respect as well as me thinking your songs are good because... You gave you gave the fans who were there, and people were there. You just gave them some extra music, and they didn't have to. They could have said, "No, I'm playing my contracted number of minutes and nothing more." And they went, "No, we're we're a bit more kind of rock and roll than that." Well, they they were probably playing, you know, to fucking forty thousand people a night in Germany at that point, anyway, weren't they? So yeah. They're absolutely massive in Europe. Um, but the second stage, like Bill Bailey headlining the second stage. Which was amazing, by the way, even yeah. if it did rain a bit. And what, what a fucking fantastically left-field, brilliant booking that is. I think it's so good. Opeth in uh, Airborne in Flames, House of, House of Pain coming up from fucking nowhere. Like, you know what I mean? You look at the other stage, uh, oh, Elstorm are on it. Ugh. Uh, in Me, Elstorm and Kylesa. That's a fucking 
sandwich there, isn't it? Cancer bats in me, Elstorm and Kylesa. I mean, fucking spot the odd one out there. Jesus. Um, but yeah, man, I I think Sonosphere, um, I think it's a real shame. It couldn't exist in the same reason. country as Download, could it? No, but then when you look at the amount of festivals and I mean, let's say, you know, I'm going to Outbreak, which is obviously rapidly expanding. Arc Tangent feels like it's rapidly expanding. 2000 Trees has been feeling like it's been rapidly expanding as the years have been going on. Bloodstock keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger every, you know, I don't think we're, I don't think we're that many years away from Bloodstock being able to book, I mean, probably not the sort of headliner that sonosphere or download a book they, i don't see them getting metallica or maiden no like, i don't no, see no, that no. happening ever ever right but you know bands of the size of corn or deftones i know that might seem mad to people who remember going to see blood going to bloodstock back in the you know the kind the of indoor the indoor yeah. years yeah yeah but I, here's the thing though right i've got to, the more bloodstock do that the more likely it is that they lose their niche because of course because yeah. the more like it's one thing if they do exactly the same thing and just get bigger organically but if they change some of the people who used to go will say oh can i really justify paying that much money for fewer bands that i'm actually interested in or that it's you know i i liked it because it wasn't too big and now it is big like you you are in danger of losing quite a significant section of your audience you're probably going to gain more than you'll lose. That's true. However, you then come up against Live Nation, who are then going to go, no, we're just going to offer, if you, we're competing for the same bands, we're just going to offer them more money. Or or we're going to make you offer them so much money that you lose money and can't support the festival. Because that's, eventually, if you just get into the same pond as a really, really big fish, they're going to try and eat you. Because they you are a direct competitor live nation don't really care about outbreak they don't care about arc tangent and because they're not competing for the same bands really they're certainly no. not competing for the no. same ticket buyers as headliners no. yeah i mean the people who want to see converging cult of lunar and and Alcestor's headliners are probably either going to go to that and download or if they are just going to one they're probably going to that because yeah well Maybe not. Maybe they, maybe they, you know, they like both sets of stuff, and will just pick the the bigger stuff. But the people who want Arctangent not download aren't going to suddenly see that they've got what you know. If they book book Cult of Luna for the second stage, they're not going to go. Well, now that now that kind of gazumps the seventy other bands that are playing at Arctangent who are really me. Now I'm going to go and watch a bunch of bands I don't care about, and then one I do. It doesn't work like that. So those festivals getting bigger don't feel like they're kind of impinging on the same place. There was a lot of crossover between Sonosphere and Download Headliners. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And there was a lot of, it feels like quite a lot of animosity as well. Certainly rivalry. I understand it. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I don't say too much. I know a few things which I'm not going to say. Yeah, so do I. I shouldn't say them. But um, yeah, but I don't, I'm not really sure that they were particularly happy with, uh, to see each other. No like <laughs> and one was always going to win and one was going to yeah. lose um and i don't know looking back at those download definitely always got the bigger bands really didn't it yeah. it just always did get the bigger bands well, it's why they, like the bigger thing it's why they pushed the boat out to get acdc you know said so we're not going to put mm. you on the main poster and we're going to give you your own stage so, and so you can sell your own merch 
Yeah, that that was that kind of ridiculous event was was yeah. very clearly part of a festival wars thing. Whereas I yeah. don't think I am absolutely sure that Andy Copping does not give a shit about two thousand trees. He might actually quite like it, but he he's not going to look at them and see them as a direct threat because they're not. They're just a very very different. No, market. I mean, look, fucking hell, I'm excited about seeing Bane tomorrow. If I went to download. Bane would be on at like two o'clock on the fourth stage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's fucking small fry to those people. Yeah. Um, but the interesting one they mentioned there, which is something I've never been to before, Tom, and you have. So I want to just like very, <sighs> very quickly. My happy place. Burn. Yes. Right now, now this is the sort of thing where you just go, I guess, like Sonosphere and, Gla- and Glastonbury and uh, Download are where you go. Well, that's what I, when when you go like think of a music festival. You think of a big field with a big stage, or, or you kind of certainly used to anyway when I was growing up. Whereas, I think it's it's amazing to see that you know, like there are now there are now so many festivals. There is I, I do kind of I would be really fucking I'd be shitting myself if I was suddenly like I think I start a festival. Like I think that'd be an absolutely maddening thing to try yeah. and do. But then if you get it as right as Roadburn Taint seem to get it for the type of thing that they're doing. Um, you can cultivate a, 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 like people seem to be fans of that festival in the same way as they're fans of the actual bands playing it yeah definitely and there are people who go for roadburn and just say right what have you got for me and then we'll just rock up and check stuff out which actually a festival like that is the right thing to do because if you you i always come back from roadburn with a new favorite band right every single time there's always one band that goes you've never heard of me before in fact we don't we exist in something you didn't realize was a thing and now you're going to love us so like this year the absolute discovery of the festival was about a a galician band called sangre the muerdago which means uh mistletoe blood i think um who are a i'd ask you to spell that mate but i have too much respect for you as a human being to watch you struggle like no uh s-a-n-g-r-e space d-e space M U E with an acute accent on it R D A G O. Fucking hell! All right. Yeah, I have one of those memories that just yeah files things Fair. like that. Um, who are a Galician Spanish Galician, um, not the Galician, which is kind of Poland slash Ukraine. Um, uh, kind of woodsy folk band, I guess. It's kind of like imagine if what you think of when you think of folk music did something more like a kind of a Iberian version of Wardruna, but like really woodsy as opposed to frosty and mountainous and things like that. Um, and it's really kind of beautiful and swaying and lilting and and hypnotic in a really uh, kind of kind of euphoric way. It's really brilliant band and that's the kind of thing they do is that they will put on someone you've never heard of and you'll fall in love with them instantly because they're just that good they will also do things like get people to work together who don't normally work together so um uh i'm trying to think of who was there was this year that was big Oh, my memory's failing me now but they did the the whole blood moon thing the converge converge mm. um project was that was a, a roadburn thing right that's that's where that started and they do things like that and they get co- people to com- do compositions for them so that um you'll see original compositions which no one has seen before because it was it's a a, a new thing so there was the um 
uh, vile creature and bismuth uh, thing. There was the uh, Cult of Luna Perturbator crossover project, Final Light, which was absolutely fucking amazing when they debuted that. That was, a, that was absolutely staggeringly good. And they, they have become this almost like boutique festival, but with like loads of people who are going. It's not just like for 20 people and a dog. It's actually got a really big following because they're that good at it. Difference is it took them... To How many people go every year? Oh, think? I have no idea what the cap is. The main venue's not that big. Like it's, I guess, about 2,500 capacity is the, is the main mm. venue. And there are four rooms, I think, they use. So there's that. There's another... Built, there's another site which is like five minutes walk away which has got another stage that size and then there are two which i would guess would be about a third of the size and then i think there's like a couple of really small ones dotted around so that there are like lots and lots of people there but not everyone's getting in to see everything because you couldn't um you wouldn't want to anyways you'd be exhausted by day one um so it's not that big but it doesn't have to be right like because the stuff they're putting on, it's not Metallica, it's mm. it's Cave-In. Now don't get me wrong, fucking amazing band, but slightly cheaper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, 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 I I suspect that the global financial climate is going to force every festival to re-examine how it works slightly because what I hear is that everyone has just had their overheads go up so much that bands are having to say, to break even, we have to charge you significantly more than we would before. Mm. Otherwise, we will just lose money on like airfare alone. So, th- I, But here's the thing. Roadburn started as a stoner festival in the 90s, and it was tiny, and it was, it was basically like Desert Fest, but in a pub. And they kind of grew, and they evolved, and they changed, and they changed again, and they changed again. Like I used to do the when Terrorizer was the media partner for Roadburn like twelve years ago. I was doing a load of the like web reveals for them, and it was totally different to what it is now. It's really, really different. And there are bands who are kind of pillars of that whole festival who now aren't really there anymore because that's they've kind of moved on and they, they would probably get them back but they wouldn't be quite as central to their identity so neurosis were like the band they were the neurosis yeah, yeah. darlings and i don't think they need neurosis anymore i think they can if neurosis never play there again eh, it might be sad i mean obviously scott kelly's in the bin but the rest i think it's going to be hard that I, I mean this is a different thing entirely but i don't think surely neurosis are no more Probably. I mean, certainly Scott, Scott's got nothing to do with them. And Scott Kelly's no yeah, more, they, right? They yeah. went, fuck that guy, um, really quickly, which is why I'm happy to talk about them and not because the rest of them went, yeah, screw it. But I can't see them functioning without him. But but my point yeah, exactly. is, oh, my point is that, that yeah, Roadburn yeah, don't need him. can't really replace him. Roadburn mm. don't need him because they've got loads of people who are slowly stepping up to fill those slots and they they're creating their own stars so seeing the reception backwash got like a backwash is brilliant sure but you i'm it was fucking so jealous that you saw her man fuck yeah and well i I saw one of the sets i tried to go to the other one couldn't get fucking i couldn't get in the building i was miles away i went oh i'm gonna go and watch cave in instead then how oh poor me seeing them do that's a, a shit clash yeah. for me mate i tell you i'd have been livid if i was there fuck that. well i was initially going i've no idea who i was going to go and see i saw backwash the first for the first set 
because loads of people do two or three or four sets at Roeburn. I think last year Slift did four, which was good because three of them clashed with people I really wanted to see, and I went to, I went to see the fourth, which was great. Anyway, I saw Backwash the first time, and went fuck it, I'm going to see the second one. That was incredible, and and that was like that was doing the new album. It wasn't doing the more metal stuff. So I was mm-hmm. thinking, well, the, actually, the, of the two sets, this was the one that was least likely to be for me, and I just absolutely yeah. loved it. So I went, I've got to go and see the second one. Went it wasn't anywhere near the start and I went well I'm never getting into that there's no point in me queuing there's too many people who had the experience I did and went I'm going back so I went to see yeah. see um, Cave In do a load of B-sides and rarities which and, and the occasional like I think they did a Bad Brains cover at one point um, oh nice um, and that but you can only do that if you've been going for a very long time and you've slowly morphed and changed and you've now got to the point where people will just accept you trying something a bit different. And it wouldn't surprise mm. me if stuff like Backwash is given more space because people have gone, yeah, well, I mean, okay, if somebody, they're not going to invite fucking Drake. And I couldn't afford him. But yeah, you know, <laughs> stuff like that's going nowhere near. But if they want to do something that is creative, that is definitely not metal or even something resembling it, but is plugging Billy Woods or clipping or something, right? Yeah, clipping would absolutely fit there, and I'd go and watch mm. him too. And I'm not the hip hop guy, but I go, I know that band, I know what they sound like. That's totally Roeburn, and I'm sure that would be incredible. It's probably again a little bit big for Roeburn because clipping are quite sizable, aren't they? Or am I making shit up? Um, I mean, they're certainly no bigger than um, people who have headlines. I mean, I think Cult of Luna are probably would play bigger venues than them i mean conjure okay. are supporting clipping they're doing a fucking london show um because i mean i saw them at fabric i mean that must have been i saw them at fabric last year clipping and i reckon that holds or that room held about less than a thousand i mean they played the, okay. they played the tufnell park dome the night before shit what's that a thousand yeah if that yeah okay so yeah. in which case clipping would be perfect so if they're there next year I, not only will I, would that be a great booking, but it would be good for me. I'd be happy. And But you can only do that if you have established over a long period of time that, yeah, we're going to morph. We're not, gonna st- we're not just going to be playing the same five bands headlining forever. We are going to do stuff which you currently don't know you like, and some of you might not mm. like it. But some of you will realise, actually, this stuff fucking great. I love it. It's uh, funny how to be talking about download a minute ago and, you know, to then now be talking about a festival like this because, I mean, it's an attitude that you would like, I would like to think everybody would kind of buy into that attitude. But then obviously we've still, you know, Two Nights of Metallica and Slipknot at download recently with all due respect to those bands. It's like, you know, that's why I was a bit like, oh, I can give it a swerve this year. And there are some times where you think like, well, I just, there were years where I was like, I would never give download a swerve because there's always going to be something amazing on, but now it's like, well, I've seen everything so much and it's not really changed that much that it's lost its allure a little bit. I mean, same for Reading, you know, Reading leads. It's maybe moved away from what I want it to be or what I used to like it being when I was a kid, but you, I, I can't deny that every year, well, maybe apart from this year, I look at it and I go, hmm, well, you know, that's different. I suppose, you know, even this year, Although there's not a lot of it that I want to see. It is still different, I guess. But yeah, festivals, man. I'm sick of talking about festivals. We talk about festivals all the fucking time. 
all the fucking time. So, Rage PR says, I don't know how you feel about this band, Tom. So, I'm going to be interested in what you say this. Gujira. Gujira, those beautiful Frenchmen, they are very good looking bad. Do you like... They are, aren't they? Yeah, very much so. Um... Do you like Gajira? You like Gajira? I do. I've got a slightly funny relationship with them because they've. I've kind of my my fandom for them has come in peaks and troughs, and there's been periods where I've been completely obsessed with them, and periods where I've not been quite so in the mood. They they're very much a the mood has to strike me band for me. Um, I've also have a slightly funny relationship with them because they ha- there are a couple of issues with the last couple of albums that I've had, which. I am aware live I don't have when they play their songs, but on record I there's something about the way it's recorded which I do know, but I kind of I don't like to point it out too much because I know it's the kind of thing that once you hear it you can go oh he's got a point and I might accidentally ruin it for someone. Um, so okay. I, I yeah I mean but there are there are issues to do with something about the way it's recorded that mean I struggle to get into the newest albums even though I listen to the songs and go yeah that's good objectively but I feel nothing. Yeah, objectively. Um, I, uh, I I haven't really gone back to Fortitude that much, I have to admit. Um, and it's the only Gajira album that I sort of listened to and went, and that is, oh, great, Gajira, and then I haven't really gone back to. I really love Magma. I do think, I think maybe it's because, I mean, it particularly sort of chimes with me these days, to be honest, giving it sub, given it subject matter. Um that you know uh yeah that stuff just sort of chimes with me more than it ever did and i always thought it was good you know i always thought it was really really good i remember hearing i think it was stranded was the first single and i was like oh yeah. fucking hell that's just a big big fucking ca-. like when they got catchy when they got really really catchy i was like fucking hell but still like you know it's still um, all about the way of all flesh for me. I ke- there was a period where I went, no, it's L'Elephant okay. Sausage, but... Uh, yeah, I love that. I mean, it I is really good record. Sauvage. Oh my God, it's incredible. It's a really good good record, but I, I still... The, the stuff that I kind of go, oh, fuck, that's good the most about is is the way of all flesh. They've had a... Yeah, my, can I, can I take um, us off on a tangent from Gajira, actually? Because, yeah, of course, yeah, go Because, on. and it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an important tangent, because... Gajira are a band who've kind of now got really big and that I remember um okay I'm going to might sound a little bit petty but I'm going to do it when I joined Terrorizer as editor I saw who was on the next cover and I went is is no one doing Gajira and we went no we didn't fancy that I went but have you seen how much people are into them because I'd been to see them a bunch and just gone it's not just that I and a bunch of critics think that this is good. It's that people are queuing fucking ages before the doors open for a really like early starting gig in a small venue because clearly they're far too big for this venue actually and that th- this is a band that's gone from kind of b- bubbling through the underground and a bit of hype by people who've seen them. And they were that musician's band, like they were the b- band that musicians loved because they were so technically good. They've gone from that to being something that people were fucking batshit enthusiastic about. People were so mad passionate about them. And they've kind of they've built to this kind of boiling point and then they sort of exploded. And the Roadrunner took them to the level that they really should be at for how good they are and how distinctive they are. 
What I want to know, though, right, is that why is it that so many bands who are good enough to make it big do one of two things? They either start out being a heavy band and then that they get a whiff of success and then they go incredibly mainstream and that just basically the the tradition their long existing fan base goes no i'm not interested anymore or they're inherently so abrasive that they their ceiling is way below what uh, bands of their gen bands of their quality would have been in previous generations why don't you get those bands who like metallica like megadeth like pantera like slipknot probably the last band that's done it are able to fuse being really heavy and yet catchy and, and catchy in a way right. that people who listen to um kaiser chiefs can go oh i quite like that single hmm. it, it's a mystery mate I, I do you know what i think it might be um i think that new and I've, I've said again apologies if you've heard me say this before but i'd quite like to say it again just to get tom's reaction to it um i think new metal became so divisive that the people that didn't like so it, you know we get to a point with like i always say it's the kind of hybrid theory effect where you basically as good as the songs are on hybrid theory like i'm not a fan of lincoln park but again objectively speaking I think Hybrid Theory is a, is a well put together record, right? Do you know what I mean? It's not. I don't want to listen to it. I don't like it. But it look, look, it is a good record. It's a big sounding record. It doesn't really have anything to do with with metal, really. No, it's I think a pop that record. That was the point where it's a it's a yeah. heavy pop record. That's not a criticism. You can think like no post human survival horror by Bring Me the Horizon was one of my like favorite records of the century because I went. Which well, fucking brilliantly heavy pop music, and we don't get anywhere near enough of it. That's amazing. They like me saying it. It's a heavy pop record. It's not a criticism, but it's not a metal record, really. No, and and they didn't look like a metal band either, did they? Which I think really helped. You know, at least like Corn and Deftones looked a bit dirty. Do you know what I mean? Like like if you go back and look at Corn, they look really different, and it was like holy shit, they're dressed as rappers and stuff. But they still looked, you know, they had tattoos and they were sort of Jonathan's hair was all like matted and shitty, and they still looked a bit kind of grotty. Whereas Lincoln Park looked, they looked like the Backstreet Boys. Yes. They were wearing shiny t-shirts and they were all clean cut, very good looking. Like, you know, they were all like like very good looking chaps. Their hair were all nice and you know dyed, fucking bleach blonde, perfectly spiked, and all that kind of frosted tip shit, right? And I just think that. The people that got into metal through that, and I'm sure there are a bunch, you know, and, and I know like Merlin, for example, from um, Louder X Metal Hammer editor, you know, was on here and he was saying how if it wasn't for hybrid theory, within a year he heard in flames and then suddenly Arch Enemy and then he's off to the races, kill switch engage, and then he's like, he's into metal and stuff, right? And that's cool. But I think the people that didn't like it just inherently didn't like it to the point where it was like, we have to reject everything about this. Like that whole, the new wave of American heavy metal, which becomes metalcore comes along. And, you know, obviously metalcore has become a very, very commercial genre. And those bands are still trying to be, you know, hybrid theory or white pony. They're still trying to do that. Or they're still trying to do fucking Sempaternal by Bring Me The Rise. And it's just none of them are very good. But the metal bands who went, oh, we're going to be proper metal bands, technical old school thrash metal bands, so many of them, I think, 
I, you know, they're not bad bands, but I think metal became, in that instance, became way more interested in just being this kind of veneer, this kind of facade, or this kind of shell of this must be metal more than it did going, how can we do heavy music, like you say, that appeals to people? It became like, I see, you see it all the time when people like, particularly in like hardcore Twitter and stuff, the beatdown, the riff, oh, where's the riff? Oh, you need, you know, when they hear like a band like Turnstile or when like that new Avenged album came out, where's the riffs? Where's the, like, as if the riffs are the be all and end all of it. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, Metallica and Megadeth made great riffs in the late 80s and into the early 90s, but they also wrote really, really good songs as well. Really great songs with really hooky, catchy choruses. And every time a band tries to do that, I think Mastodon are quite a good example of this, right? Because everyone went, oh, Mastodon have done the Hunter. They're going to be massive. And it, you know, Mastodon are big. For the, for the type of music they play, they're very big. But I don't think you could put on the Hunter or Once More Round the Sun and say that, the songs are as instantaneous and big sounding as the songs on the black album no and that's ultimately what all of these people are aiming for right they're all trying to make another black album all of them are but I, and nobody's really done it have they no but i the interesting thing is i'm not intre- i'm not even talking about people making the black album i'm talking about people making vulgar display of power right or something like that because that was a big record. Okay, nothing's as big as the Black Album. No one's going to make another Black Album, right? You and culture is no, not no, no. that homogenized. My point is that people don't take like the traditional approach to how you get people to like someone, which is you have a singer with a tune, right? That's the that is the easiest thing for a human being to understand is someone else singing, of course right? It is. I don't understand why years after that whole thing has now kind of that new wave of American heavy metal kind of crashed and burned in the late noughties when it was clear none of them were going to break mm-hmm. through the glass ceiling if you have too many shouty vocals, right? And there's a very much a generation for whom hybrid theory are is very much kind of in the same world as the Black Album. It's just something that's really big and it's really huge. And yes, loads of people got into it. And then we discovered everything else. I don't quite understand why, with all that time having passed, there aren't people who have listened to, for example, um, Rotting Christ and who've listened to Metallica and have gone, oh, should we kind of do those risks with those vocals? Or things like that. You You don't really hear people who are making... I mean, people with melodic vocals either tend to be really poppy or, you know, stuff that something, some people who like metal are just going to go, oh, that's a bit kind of, that's a bit nice. Or yeah, it's much, or, yeah. or it's Dio. You know, it's the Dio karaoke has been going on for 40 years. Now, I'm quite happy for that. I'm quite happy for that to continue. But the reality is that, that we have learned through, over those 40 years, those bands ain't getting to, you know, headline Glastonbury ever. What I'm kind of getting at is why aren't there more bands saying, well, we've got all these really heavy influences. Why don't we fuse that with like something vaguely melodic in the vocals? Because Slipknot did it, and there are other bands who've kind of tried it, but what they've tended to do is they've put in something which is too unpalatable. 
Uh, but but mostly like code be- like code orange of sort of are uh, probably too heavy yes. to be like really genuinely big in the same way as like turnstile have got big yes i mean you listen to turnstile and you listen to code orange and which one do you think is more likely to get you, know, you might more likely to get told to turn that shit off if you put on in public mm. right one of them is going to be more offensive to someone who likes taylor swift and nothing else well there's a guy actually funnily enough a guy who i used to work with you i haven't spoken to for ages and he texted me out of the blue the other day and was like do you like turnstile and i was like he said oh are they too like wet for you and i was like fuck no i love turnstile and he's into like you know denzel curry and um and kind of like you know edm really right he doesn't really he was always he was always like i don't really like guitar music but yeah, he went to see Turnstile at the uh, the Roundhouse last year and was like, oh, I heard them. And then I went to see them at the Roundhouse and I've been fucking obsessed with them ever since. And I'm like, well, you have no interest in hardcore or punk rock whatsoever. But that band have made that record, which is completely... And I know all the fuck... And, but the problem is, like... I mean, it's not a problem because Turnstile are fucking massive. But when you see the fucking snobs on the internet going, oh, Turnstile are fucking sellouts and, oh, imagine liking this and, oh, these kids are ruining hardcore and stuff. And it's like, oh, fuck, you sound like what I used to say about hybrid theory. And I imagine, and and, like my fear is, is the same thing will happen, is that, you know, because if Turnstile get really massive, I mean, Turnstile are massive, but they're not Linkin Park, nowhere near being Linkin Park massive. If any band were to turn around and do that, the rest of the scene who are like, you know, patting themselves on the back for their fucking brilliant taste in music. Because look at me, don't I like loads of cool underground music? It just means a load of people just fucking retreat back to the kind of, but you, you know, the same shit that's just like noisy and unpalatable and unlistenable to to most people. And that's fine. Like I like like loads of those bands, but yeah, you you need a turnstile. Like I and uh, bring me a doing like. I, I don't even know what Bring Me are anymore, but I'm fucking glad they're around. I don't think know? Bring Me know what Bring Me are anymore. I don't think they care. No, I don't, I don't think don't. they do either. Yeah, I don't think they do either, really. And like on one hand, they're slightly frustrating because sometimes I'm like, you are great. But then sometimes they write things that I'm like, this is just not very good. Yeah. Lads. But, but like, I'm fucking glad they're around. Do you know what I mean? Because if they weren't, I don't know... I mean, we just there would be absolutely no presence in the quote unquote mainstream at all for sort of heavy guitars at all, yeah. none. But I, I, I guess I just don't quite understand, because, particularly because there are a load of really, really, really heavy bands who um, did make that kind of record where it was accessible to the mainstream but was still undoubtedly heavy, whose biggest influence was Kiss. Right, you will hear that loads of times from people who like really, really yep. heavy shit. Yeah, yeah. Vinnie Paul spoke and and Dimebag spoke about how, Rage Against the Machine. Yep, yeah, loved Kiss. The, yeah. Absolutely loved them. You know, the people who sang Crazy Nights were a, a massive influence on the people who wrote fucking Hostile. Right, when you put it in those terms, you go, well, yeah, but surely we, you know, there's. It's not necessarily automatically true that you either like the thing that sounds really poppy and saccharine and and you never go any deeper and you stick up there in the commercial, commercially friendly area, or you go down so far that you are you know necro death mort and and kind of stuff that is unlistenable to the majority of the population. It's I don't understand why so many bands who are really really talented 
either go really, really esoteric or really, really, really accessible to the extent where people like me are kind of left behind. And I, I've never, I've not kind of, I've not kind of worked out why there isn't, where there is this yawning chasm where my favourite band in the world is waiting to appear, but they don't exist. Yeah, it is a weird one. I was going to ask you what you think about Sleep Token since they feel like uh, one of the bands who are, you know, um, very much on the tip of people's tongues quite a lot at the moment. I have to be honest that I have seen so much noise around Sleep Token that I've gone, nope, not listening to them until everyone shuts the fuck yeah, up. Fair. Because it, yeah. it's absolutely the Metallica thing that I've had before is that I have had mm. a number of Metallica albums totally ruined for me because of how people were speaking about them before I heard them. Sleep Token kind of exists in that space. I've heard a couple of songs and one was definitely not for me and one I thought was really good. So it's possible that I really like them. It's possible I really loathe them. But they they have caused so much of a furore that I kind of don't... and But also so much adoration that I'm kind of... I'm watching with interest because I'm going, yeah, they're fucking huge and they've come out of nowhere really quickly and no one really knows anything about them and I kind of respect that. But at the same time, I'm. I find it very difficult to go in and listen without other people's noise ruining for me. One thing I would say yeah. is that from what I have heard in terms of the music, I think that they are once again sitting in that bit where people like me are kind of left behind because those vocals are really poppy. Hmm. They are, yeah, they are. I mean, I mean, I've spoken about Sleep Token uh, just after the album came out, so everyone pretty much knows what I think about that. If you don't, then go back and listen to it. Basically, they don't write songs as good as The Weeknd, so until they can do that, I think you're in big trouble trying to cross over to pop fans, per- to be perfectly honest. Um, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, I, I, I feel like a lot of metal fans will accept quite average pop. Yeah. That's my, my feelings. That's my feelings on it in a nutshell, essentially. And that's what they're doing with Sleep Token. Um, they will certainly uh, looking accept, at the list. They'll certainly accept very average um, doo-wop if it's got um, some satanic lyrics. <laughs> oh, who could you be talking about? Who could you be talking about? Um, yeah. One more thing. Craig has said ticket stubs. I oh, I'm a, I do used to like to, I used to keep all my ticket stubs from gigs when I was a kid. And then one day my mum came to clean my house out. Uh, she, she didn't come just for that. I didn't say come up and clean my house. But I moved into a new flat and she was like, I'm going to come up and I'm going to kind of like sort of help you move in and stuff. Chucked all of my ticket stubs from the 90s away. Very upset. I was very upset. I've kind of periodically had them, periodically not. Because what I would tend, I used to, I was like, oh, I want to keep my ticket stub and remember it. And then I'd put it somewhere and lose it. Or I would find that I had an absolute mountain and I had nowhere to put it. And it was just collecting dust in the corner somewhere. And I would go, I, I just have to get rid of it. I don't have any room. So I am quite glad that the era of e-tickets is a thing. Mm. I, I much prefer that, if I'm honest. But at the same time, I know people who really keep them, preserve them. And I, the one thing I have kept almost all of is any time I've got a, got a kind of a sticky pass. Because like, those are, were like a, oh, that's a moment. Because any time I got access i did not take it for granted at all i was like fuck this is an enormous privilege this is a special thing and i still like <laughs> i still look at some occasionally look I've, they're stuck around a mirror where i've kind of i deliberately 
stuck them all on this mirror so that every time I look at it, I see all these these things. It's, and the, like the pride it, of place a... is obviously the Iron Maiden one. Well, I I wasn't actually right. working with, with Maiden. I was working with Dragon Force, but they were supporting Maiden. And I, I kind yeah. of went, fucking hell, I've got a, got a sticky pass for Iron Maiden. And I just, well, that's that. I would rather lose my arm than have that disappear from my possession. Because, but if I was the ticket stubs kind of person, I would have done the same with them rather than. I I never have the same attachment for the ticket stubs for some reason. Yeah, I mean, look, man, metal fans and rock fans, I feel like we are, you know, we buy fucking t shirts and vinyl and posters and fucking all kinds of stuff like we are one of the the final like physical item like i i don't know that people who go and watch like you go to a fucking i don't know a a, a fucking drum and bass night go oh i must keep the ticket do you know what i mean i just don't i'm not sure that they think like that about i think like metal fans do and rock fans do tend to be a bit more like and this is the ticket from when i went to this back in the day and all looking all that kind of stuff and do the little thing it's just one of the things we do um i would like to have had mine but you know they're gone now so i sort of one once i'd lost like my ticket for radiance machine at the astoria i was a bit like well fuck it i don't need any of them anymore now if that's gone yeah pointless having any of them really um last one i'm, I'm gonna sort of chuck this at you tom because james at Big Jim Tartan on Twitter has said 1996. Now I often say, and it's funny because hanging out with my mates from school the other day, my mate said 1996, best year for music ever. Best year we left school. And I think it's because we had Euro 96 and we left school and it was the first time we went to Reading. But 1996 as a year for albums, I maintain, I believe, and it's obviously, you know, I'm so biased, it's unbelievable. But I still am like, in terms of albums released, so many of my favourite albums were released that year. Um, do you remember anything about good of the music of 1996, Tom? Uh, let's see if I can do this. Can't hear it. What is it? It's Through Silver and Blood. I was trying to do the drum pattern for, at the start. Of this oh, show. right. Okay. Well, yeah, there's one. I mean, <laughs> like, I know, I, I know him, but... I'm not going to pretend that I don't think that's one of the most terrifyingly brilliant things I've ever heard. Uh, I'm going to go through some of the albums released in 1996. I think you'll like Grom by Behemoth. Is that any good? I don't know if I've listened to that before. Um, Total Death by Dark Throne. That's quite good, actually. Okay, good. Um, Boys of Pele by Tori Amos came out that year. That's fucking great. Stormblast by Dimu Borgir. Stormblast. The, uh, the, the A here. with the little thing over the top is or It's why people I get, always get annoyed when people pronounce that Man City striker's name wrong. <laughs> okay. What, Holland. Holland. Yeah. Uh, Diatribes by Napalm Death. Yeah, good album. Filth Pig by Ministry. No, I've never been a Ministry fan. Okay, fair enough. Heavy Petting Zoo by NerfX. That might be the worst NerfX album uh, of that period, to be honest. So I might not count that particularly uh all eyes on me by tupac happy days the score by the fugees i'm having that that was that the one that had ready or not on it yeah, yeah okay it that's was, a yeah. good album yeah 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 yeah. come find yourself by fun loving criminals i'm sorry but that is a very good record just gonna put that out there okay i'll take um, your word for it the jester race by inflames 
Yes, that's a very, very good album. Okay. Uh, Murder Ballads by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. don't know if you're a bit, uh, much of a Nick Cave fan. That's got Kylie on it, that one. It's the one with Kylie. Uh, is that, oh, is that the one with Red Right Hand on it? No. Oh, because I thought that was around no, that. Was that so. 1993, that one? Uh, that was before that. Um, I don't know. It's not Let Love In. Um, I've forgotten off the top of my head what year that album came out in. But it was used that year in 1996 on the Scream film that came right. out. So it would gotcha. have been big. That's why, yeah. Roots by Sepultura. Uh, yeah, that's all right. Well, I say it's all right. It's got Frack. two incredible songs and then, yeah. Uh, it's fucking brilliant. It's the best Sepultura album. Uh, Goldfinger by Goldfinger. I'm going to say, yes, that is a great uh, Scar Punk record. The Grey Rice by Bad Religion. It's not a great album, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's not the worst, Take that's but greatest. it's not great. Take That's Greatest Hits came out that year as well. That's very good. Uh, yeah. Uh, Milk and Kisses by the Cocktoo Twins is good. House of Girls Against Boys by Girls Against Boys is really good. Um, Beat the Bastards by The Exploited came out that year. Regular Urban Survivors by Terrorvision came out that year. Terrorvision at all, Tom, that bit of you or no? Uh, not so much, but obviously I've heard Tequila to death. That's not on that album, so don't worry about it. You're safe good. from it uh, if you do listen to that album. Um, Second Toughest in the Infants by Underworld is fucking brilliant that came out that year uh 40 more reasons to hate us by anal cunt <laughs> no awful <laughs> no awful uh tiny music songs from the vatican gift shop by stone table pilots is really good um i'm having that apparently the first nickelback album came out that year it's an ep or the first ep came out that year that oh yeah that was before uh you know how you remind me yeah that, how you remind me of the same fucking two bars all, all over time. again yeah. yeah yeah uh democracy by killing joke it's the it's killing joke it's good dope sick by i hate god that's very good yeah yeah right it is good uh sorrow through the nine worlds by a monomath came out that year sorry through the nine worlds god that's before i i've listened to any of this it's shit. a debut ep yeah that's why if, if it's before once sent through the golden from the golden hall i, I don't remember it do you know what came out on the same day as that which would have been a very odd pickup in hmv if you got both of these two together the molesley shoals by ocean color scene Oh God, I remember them. The TFI Friday song. Was that the one with the day we caught the train on it? Yeah, that's the one with the day we caught the train on it, mate. Oh, I was just talking about that to Gaz yesterday. Classic. Evil Empire by Rage Against the Machine. That's very good. The potentially the best Rage Against the Machine album. Get out. No, mate, honestly. Through Silver and Blood by Neurosis. Spoken about that. Fucking incredible. Um, uh, what else have we got here? Uh, oh, Do You Know Who You Are by Texas The Reason. Great early emo stuff. Fucking brilliant. Tin Cans of Strings to You, the debut Far album, is great. Ass Cobra by Turbo Negro is really great as well. Electric Larry Lamb Ass by Ass Cobra is, is I Got Erection, isn't it? That's an amazing record. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking great, yeah. Great Southern Train Kill by Pantera. Infotainment by Pitch Shifter. Um, Wild Mood Swings by The Cure Slang by Def Leppard I mean it's got its fans um, Older by George Michael came out that year oh that's an amazing record very good yeah really really good Everything Must Go by Manic Street Preachers that's a very uh, which good I album. fucking love yeah Down on the Upside by Soundgarden is really really good as well Vile by Cannibal Corpse came out that year 
Tom, I defer to you on that. I'm not sure I remember what's on that one. Uh, it's not the best, but it's good. It's good, but it's. I mean, there's no like shit Cannibal Corpse records, but it's it's not the greatest. Okay. Um, good God's Urge by Porno for Pyro is really good. Undisputed Attitude by Slayer. Now, I'm going to say it. That is a good record. That is Slayer doing fucking Minor Threat. Yeah. No, I'll What's go. That? Okay, I'll go along with you. It's not my favourite, but it's it's better than well, the other thing they released later in the decade. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not your favourite, but it is fucking good. Right. Load by Metallica from 1996. Look at this list of albums. Oh, it's madness. God. You don't like Load? No, of course I don't like Load. <laughs> You're mad. No. It's brilliant. Swan Song by Carcass. Placebo by Placebo. That's, That's a good, very right? good record. Yeah, right. Swan Song's I mean, not. This is a... <laughs> like whatever your opinion is on Swan Carcass, I don't great. think anyone thinks that Carcass. I don't think Carcass thinks that Swan Song is a particularly good record. I actually don't mind it, but fine. Uh, very proud of you by AFI is rubbish. Um, kind of the first one. Morning Rise by Opeth came out that year. That's very very good. Yeah. Yeah. Dust by Screaming Trees, my favourite Screaming Trees album. Uh, Reasonable Doubt by Jay-Z. Um, Broken Arrow by Neil Young and Crazy Horse came out that year. It was written by Nas. Jawbox by Jawbox. Um, Stakes is High by De La Soul. It's, there's loads. It's a loads. Stag by the Melvins is brilliant. This is a great fucking year. A great year. I'm going to go down a little bit further. Uh, Sublime by Sublime. Unplugged by Alice in Chains. The best MTV Unplugged set in my personal opinion don't know how you feel about that tom uh, uh i'm not too sure i have too many pins on on mtv unplugged in general but that is a good one i'll acknowledge that okay yeah uh beautiful freak by eels is really good as well um acrobatic tenement by at the drive-in not their best super sexy swinging sounds by white zombie that's like a remix album uh october rust by typo negative come on you know I'm never going to say anything nice about Pete Steele. All right, you can say something nice about Typo Negative, though. No, I can't. Like I can't. Okay. I could never listen to that band without hearing him saying really homophobic things in my head because he said them in public. So it's kind of very difficult to then think nicely about the music. Like if you go, well, all right, fine. Like, yeah, no, I'm, I, no can't say not can't okay. th- i can't enjoy a band whose front man thought said some really nasty things about people like me did he i don't i didn't i'm not this seems to have like he was really in the press well he, he probably was, did to um, be honest he he did a, a playgirl shoot and was then really yeah. really perturbed to discover that most of the people jacking off to it were gay men and said some quite overtly homophobic things now obviously he may have softened in the because he died before the public perception of gay men really shifted he may have reformed in his later years but i don't want to say he was an awful homophobe but he said some really homophobic things and therefore it was Mm. i could never approach typo negative in a way that I was entirely comfortable with. I tried. I tried to convince myself for a while I could, but I kept hearing those those quotes in my head. I went, no, I can't. 
I sort of remember that. I sort of remember, well, I remember him doing that Playgirl shoot, but I don't remember much more about that. Okay, okay. Anyway, well, let's move on. All right, here's something you won't like anyway. No Code by Pearl Jam. It's not the best Pearl Jam album. Uh, Coming Up by Suede. I do like that as well. Um, uh, there's quite a lot. No Inventi News Invented Hi-Fi by R.E.M. came out that year. K by Cooler Shaker. Probably shouldn't have brought that up, to be fair. White Light, White Heat, White Trash oh, no, by if, Social if, Distortion. If you swallow Cooler Shaker, Brilliant. you should definitely bring that back up. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, they're bad. Best of the Beast by Iron Maiden compilation. Everything Sucks by Descendants. Pinkerton by Weezer. Enema by Tool. I mean, there's a lot of good albums that came out this year, man. That's all I'm going to say. Antichrist Superstar came out as well. Obviously, don't want to be too nice. Uh, too, can I add a few uh, to, more to, a few to, more to in there? Lives. So we've got... Uh, Life is Peachy by Korn. Yeah. Overnight Sensation by Motorhead. Yep. Uh, uh, Recovering the Satellites by Counting Crows. Go on. Uh, we have uh, Elegy by Amorphis, which is not their best, but it's still good. And he's, well, I always like Amorphis. Uh, Cradle of Filth, Dusk Wise and Blood. Her, her Embrace. Uh, yeah, Triptopsy, None So Vile. Yes, I'm having some of that. Uh, oh, yeah, that's brilliant, that album. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's class. Yeah, that's I, I really like that. Uh, uh, Purification Through Violence by Dying Fetus. Uh, uh, <laughs> Danzig. Danzig 5? No? Okay. No. Uh, um, no. <laughs> uh, he's in prison. We're not going to talk about that band. Uh, Brave Murder Day by Catatonia. That's very good. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Richard D. James by Aphex Twin. I'm just going to keep chucking these. Uh, well. He should be in prison, but sadly isn't. Uh, Irreligious by Moonspell. That's great. Um, uh, ch -ch -ch. Razorblade Suitcase by Bush came out that year. Come on. Did, did, I'm assuming that's not that's not really on my radar, mate. You, you probably okay, could have guessed fair that. Enough. Uh, Triarchy of the Lost Lovers uh, by Rotting Christ. There's another good one. Nemesis Divina Satyricon. There we go. There's some black metal royalty. Um, you missed out Mate Feet Kill Repeat. I did, yeah. And um, Around the World Hit Singles, The Journey So Far by E17. And Spice by the Spice Girls. The <laughs> debut Spice Girls album. So look, when, I'm not just fucking around when I say that 1996 was like an absolutely brilliant year for music. What a brilliant year for music. Yeah, it's no 2010, but it'll do. 2010? What happened in 2010? I can't remember what happened in 2010. Uh, well, what was the best? Uh, let's start with... Uh, let's not start there, actually. Uh, Ludicrous, The Tenant, really weird, kind of introverted, isolated in um, an urban sensation... San Francisco Black Metal, that's great. Uh, Agalot, Marrow of the Spirit, well, maybe we shouldn't talk about them anymore. Uh, Black Jazz by Shining, fuck yeah. I'm having some of that. S yeah, like Snakes that. for the Divine by High on Fire, yes, please. Uh, Spiral Shadow by Kylesa, brilliant record. ALO by Rotten yeah, that Christ, is good, that. brilliant record. Uh, we're not talking about them. Akai de Lune by Alcest, fucking great. <laughs> Uh, I love the fact you have to go. I'm not, I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about them. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, Via Stella Pamintuli. Sorry to everyone in Romania by Nagura Bunjit. Uh, some people like these. This band, the Dillinger Escape Plan, Option Paralysis. Uh, yeah, Iron Maiden, that's... The Final Frontier, the last good Iron Maiden record. Uh, we're here be because we're here by Anathema, which is fucking brilliant. Uh, you're gonna like this. Heavy breathing by Black Breath. Yes, I do like that. That is really great. That album, yeah. Absolute descent by Killing Joke. 
Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's my favorite album of 2010, I think. Actually, uh, well, about it. there's some. There's one coming up. You might like like more. Not this one. Cir- Tripticon. Uh, let me get there. Let me get this. Stephen. Sorry, mate. Sorry. Uh, Circle the wagons by Dark Throne. Yes. Kvel Attack Sorry by Kvel Attack. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, that's really good. Uh, enslaved Axioma Ethica Rodini probably my favorite enslaved record and considering they've only ever done one record i don't genuinely like apart from the new one which i'm a bit i, I might need some time to warm up on um trips con and parastera diamond is far and away the best thing released that year absolutely brilliant record one of the most terrifyingly heavy things i've ever heard there i know people who said i thought i was out of i was falling out of love with music and then i heard satan savior father and all of a sudden i'm back uh, but probably the most significant album released that year, Ghost, Diamond Opus Eyes. Eponymous. Right. Oh, no, fuck them. <laughs> missed Diamond Eyes by Deftones. You also missed uh, High Violet by The National, came out that year as well. Yes. Great album. Uh, this Is Happening by LCD Sound System, just for a bit of stuff that's not just a bloke going, ah! uh, The Arch Android by Janelle Monet is fucking amazing. Immersion by Stone Temple Pilot, uh, by Pendulum. Stone Temple Pilot is next to that. Uh, that's really, really great as well. Um, Bionic by Christian Aguilera, like that. Three yeah, man, it's good. It's actually pr- yeah, I, I, I quite like that. I like the next one more, I think. Um, there is a hell, believe yeah, me, man, I've seen it. There is a heaven. Let's keep it a secret. Secret by bringing. I the think that is a that that is a good album. That is a good well, album. Yeah, that is actually that is a really good album. Bears, um, mares, scraps, and I mean, bones not, by Cancer Baths. You're not meant to be. You know, again, this is a bit like I shouldn't really mention these lot, but the suburbs by Arcade Fire. I absolutely fucking love that record, even though he's a shit. Um, <laughs> Get off the fence, Steve. What do you think about it? Well, he's a, he's a fucking arsehole. He's a cunt, isn't he? Um, uh, yeah, man, it's uh, Hurley by Weezer. Mm. Um, yeah, man, good. A good. I'd say it's a good year. I'd say it's a good year. What else we got? If you like uh, the stuff that I like, that is an incredible year. Yeah, it's good. I think it's pretty good. Huey Lewis and the News brought a new album out that year as well. So you know, oh, uh, Speak Now by Taylor Swift came out that year as well. Escape the Fate. Crikey. Oh, God. James Blunt brought an album out that year. Man on the Moon 2 by Kikudi. Mm, day to Remember. Some some quite bad stuff came out that year as well. Yeah, I, I'm sure quite, if we dug through 1996's uh, yeah, yeah. depth. Well, don't worry. Yeah, I, I... It's just 1996 was less online, so less of it survived. All You Need Is Now by Duran Duran came out that year as well, and that is... Uh, uh, a decent Duran Duran album. Anyway, um, yeah, there you go. Vote online. What's better out of 2010-96? What a weird way to end the podcast. But that is what we must do. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Tom, cheers for coming on, mate. Thank you, mate. Think we, uh, Thank you. For- you think we filled two hours and 23 minutes with good quality chat? I think so. I mean, there was a certain amount of me scrolling through 1996's album releases. <laughs> yeah, kind of, <laughs> Christ, what came out that year that I might know. A lot of... A lot of Wikipedia uh, looking at there. That was a lot of scrolling Wikipedia, but it's all good. Um, people will see you soon. Yes. Um, because they'll go over, I imagine, to patreon.com. I say see you soon. They'll hear you soon. They'll go over to patreon.com forward slash true cop pop because uh, there's going to be a, a chat about Axe the Fall by Converge, which we're actually going to record right now. So I'm just going to 
and we're a bit pressed for time so i'm just going to end here and then be like see you later and then we're going to start doing it you don't need to know that anyway bye everyone it's been a lovely time cheers tom bye